is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get around. No. They saw your team. Put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouse. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beatty. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. We... Are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, this is the Sports Loudmouth 631-672-3108 is the number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, which is Apple, and searching us at WWSRN or Android, searching us at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's up? Doing all right. Uh, going to give a shout out to my parents. They celebrated their anniversary on Sunday. Happy anniversary to you. I don't know if that requires that kind of rendition, but Why? okay. That, uh, that What's wrong with working. that? I didn't say anything was wrong with it. It just it sounded like your uh, near opera voice that you like to do. Uh, well, that, hold on one second. I did not sing opera. I, I just, said near opera. I just sang a song for your parents, and you don't want to accept it. Eh, whatever. Nevertheless, their uh, 29th anniversary for them, or as uh, wow. they like to uh, as they like to joke around with the 29 years of bliss. That means you're 27 years old, so they had you two years into their marriage. It's just about. Yep. They had a little speedy pop out. You know. That's right. How did she pop out? Why would I know? <laughs> am I going to force her to write a book on how I was born? That would be a good idea. Yeah, I'm sure you think it would. I think it would be a great idea. We should ask your mother. We should. Not going to happen. I think it would be a great story. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I think we should use it for a take on our radio oh show. God. I think it would be that great. That would be horrible. Why? Have your mom I'm not the exposing show? those details. I, well, you have four brothers and, and four ways that she had you. And, uh, All right. And I don't think she needs to go through that again. I don't know, but I think it would really be funny. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we had a lot to talk about throughout the week last week. And this week we have even more. Uh, a little bit later in the show at 8 o'clock, we'll be talking to Richmond baseball head coach and former Dodger and Cardinal infielder Tracy Woodson. He'll be joining us. And at 9 p.m., between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m., we'll be talking to former Ravens and Falcons all-pro fullback Ovi Muhali. He'll be joining us. So he'll, he'll uh, give us some his takes on what's going on with the Ravens and obviously the Falcons and uh, talk about his career and where he is right now, uh, now that he is a— uh, retired football player. So it'll be interesting. OV is a interesting cat, and we'll have him on the show a little bit later in the show. Uh, we are going to get into the Yankees getting swept in the ALCS. I'm sure a lot of Yankee fans are very pissed off and upset, and of course they're going to blame, guess who, Aaron Boone. So uh, there are stories coming out with the Yankees. They're going to be sitting uh, with Aaron Boone in the next couple of days. Uh, and discussing on where they're moving forward to, either with him or with somebody else. Uh, they did extend his contract in last year's offseason, so he's still under contract for another two years. The question is, do the Yankees think he is the answer to win him a World Series? That's something that only Brian Cashman. And another thing is, Hal's going to have to negotiate the deal 
with Brian Cashman before that happens because he's a free agent this year too. A lot to talk about with the Yankees because Benatendi will not be on the books next year. Bader, and now you're hearing, uh, obviously, Aaron Judge's agent come out and say that he's seeking $500 million uh, this offseason to get or receive Aaron Judge's services for baseball. So, interesting story. I don't think he's going to get it, but uh, it'll be an interesting uh, situation. I believe San Francisco will win the bid for Aaron Judge as we move forward this offseason. Um, we will also get into the Jets as they lose Brees Hall and Elijah Tucker for the season. Uh, then they made a big trade uh, the day after, 24 hours after they found out. Well, it was actually that day when they found out Brees Hall uh, was injured for the season. They made a move for James Robinson, the running back for uh, from the Jags. So it's going to be very interesting. I do believe the Jets will be looking for another offensive lineman uh, before the trade deadline, which is November 1st, I think it is. Week 9, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it will be interesting. Um, I don't think they need one. Uh, because they still have George Fawn coming back and Max Mitchell, two guys that will be back this season. So that that's one thing I have to say about, obviously, Joe Douglas. He knows what he's doing when it comes to adding depth to this team. This team has a lot of depth in certain positions. The weakest part is not really finding any injury, and that's the linebacker position with, uh, obviously, Quincy... Um, Quincy Williams coming back from the injury that he had a high ankle sprain. And, and obviously, uh, you know, Kawan Alexander, who got hurt last week, but he should be okay for this week. And then, obviously, C.J. Mosley, who's been actually healthy all season long. So, a shout-out to him. Uh, 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 an aging player who's, I think, 30 now. And I, I do believe he has another two or three good years left. Um, but he also renegotiated his deal in the offseason. I think he's going to have to renegotiate his uh, contract this offseason if he plans to be a Jet moving forward because uh, the Jets are going to have a lot of needs, including Quentin Williams. So uh, we will get into that in just a few minutes as well. But, uh, yeah, the Yankees, uh, it's it's crazy. Philadelphia, who would have thought that Philadelphia and the everybody thought the Astros were going to the World Series. But nobody ever thought, except yours truly, yeah. thought that the Philadelphia Phillies were going to squeak in to the World Series, but I, I think it's a lot of people think uh, this break that he they have will take away the, the hotness or whatever the hot play they've had throughout the playoffs. I don't I don't believe it's so. It's a wash. Both teams are hot. <laughs> I don't believe so. I I think this will benefit uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. I really do. Uh, Bryce Harper, who's going for his first World Series win after watching the Nationals do it a couple of years ago after he decided to uh, sign with Philadelphia. So uh, this is this is a good story. I, I would love to see Bryce Harper win uh, because he's one of the faces of baseball, and I think it's very very important uh, that they have somebody like this in the World Series. Obviously, Pena and and some of the guys that the Astros have the, the uh, future stars in the major leagues, but and Verlander, we all know Verlander's been there year year in and year out. How many World Series has he won? One. Yeah. So he needs to win another one. And I, I do believe Verlander is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's been as good as you can get in the last 20 years of baseball. So, I mean, Justin Verlander has been, and he's probably the Cy Young winner this year as well. Um, with even with two or two or three pitchers in their uh, on their rotation. So it, it's really crazy that uh, the Astros have a rotation as good as they do. And and by the way, 
Verlander's a free agent after this year. Yep. So I, I do not believe he will return as an Astro. I think he will come back, but on another team, playing for another team, another organization. Maybe the Mets, the Yankees. Uh, I, I could see him going to any one of those teams. Both teams might need pitching in the offseason. So it'll be interesting. Um, so why don't we get into it? Let's get into the Jets first. Uh, because a little bit later we'll do our Week 7 recap. We'll go through all the games like we do every single... And by the way, the reason why our show is Tuesday and it's today is because tomorrow I am actually going to the Ranger and Islander game. Uh, we're going to be right there on the ice for the game, me and the Beef. And uh, we will be taking some takes. I'll be doing some interviews over there with the fans and using it for our Thursday's show. So definitely uh, stay tuned for that. But... Let's get into the Jets. I know there's a lot of Jet fans that are wondering what my take is after Brees Hall going down uh, week, oh, it was week seven last week, and and Elijah Vera Tucker. And I, I know when you sit here today and you think of both players, uh, both players are very, two very important pieces to the offense. Elijah Vera Tucker who has been one of the best guards in the NFL really since last year in the second half, and he... He transitioned into the right tackle uh, after the injuries that they bared early this season. Obviously, Makai Beckham, who didn't play all, you know, really all season long, uh, missed the preseason, uh, got hurt in practice. And obviously, some of the other guys, uh, George Font, the injury that he took um, in, in game number one, really, and he hasn't been 100% healthy, and then. The Jets decided to sit him after game three, and he's been sitting ever since then. And then Max Mitchell hurting himself as well, which uh, a rookie that really has shown that he could be something for the future, uh, as far as as I'm concerned, a part of this offensive line for the future. So when you sit here today and you're a Jet fan, and I know a lot of Jet fans after they found out Brees Hall was being carted off the field, that it could be really, really bad and and then in the at the end of the game, Robert Salas spoke to the press and he said that he believes it's an ACL tear. It seems like everything's pushing towards that. And then hearing the bad news 24 hours you know, after that, that it was an ACL tear and a minor meniscus tear, he is going to be out for the rest of the season. And you saw it in Robert Salas' face. This kid was going to be, he looked like he was turning into a star right in front of our eyes. He was a player that the Jets trusted. It obviously pissed off Elijah Moore, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, his post on Twitter again with his, uh, you know, church-going ways, but uh, it really doesn't make any sense on why he would post that on Twitter. But I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. But Brees Hall has been a very important piece to where this offense was moving, even before Zach Wilson came back. And now losing a significant piece like this, Joe Douglas needed to look on possibly making a move before the trade deadline, November 1st, where the Jets might need to get better at that running back position. Not to say that Michael Carter can't run the mother load like Brees Hall. He could, but I think he's more of a number two. He's not a power back. He's not that type of back. They needed to find somebody that can be another Brees Hall. Now, they had... Bam Knight, who a lot of people liked, uh, he decided that the Jets decided to put him on waivers in the, you know, after the preseason, he, he, he skipped waivers and now he was playing on the practice team for the New York Jets and they were calling him up. And right when you heard the Jets were calling him up, 
to the roster, you hear that Joe Douglas makes, makes a trade with the Jaguars. I, I think a fantastic trade for the New York Jets, getting James Robinson, who has been one of the better running backs this year, especially on a Jaguars team that I, I believe uh, Travis Etienne has been a good running back ever since he's taken the number one position away from James Robinson. But James Robinson has been a better running back than he has in the two or three games that he's played this year. And he is a power back. He's a guy that has a lot of speed. And he can catch the ball in the backfield. Now, is he better than Brees Hall? No. And nobody thinks that he is. But what we like about James Robinson, a shout-out to Josh Silverberg, who was talking to me a couple of days ago, before this even happened, a day and a half ago, uh, before they decided to make this trade with James for James Robinson, he said that James Robinson would be a great piece, a great add-on piece for the New York Jets after losing Brees Hall. And what happens? 24 hours later, you hear, uh, obviously, Adam Scheffner coming out and, and, and really speaking praise on, on the trade that the Jets send a sixth-round draft pick, possibly could turn into a fifth-round draft pick, to the Jacksonville Jaguars for James Robinson. Now, I believe Joe Douglas has been the all-star of this organization ever since the Jets brought him in. He really has been. And everything that Joe Douglas has done as far as drafting, he's been not fully spot on, but spot on the last two years. Now, his first draft obviously didn't pan out very well. Makai Becton has not been the player that we thought he was going to be. Bryce Hall, who had a good season last year, looks like he's going to get traded before the, before the trade deadline. P. Ryan is not even playing anymore. Ashton Davis, give me a break. That draft has been absolutely horrible, his first draft. But the last two years, and, and, and I thought Elijah Moore would be somebody that we could talk about, but he's not because he's pushing himself out of New York very quickly. The last two drafts have been spot on. And this year's draft could change the organization for the better. Brees Hall was a big, important piece to this puzzle. And the Jets making a fantastic jump this year. Five and two. And they've been automatic against the teams that a lot of people thought they have no chance against. Look at this week. They're in MetLife Stadium. They have the better record. They're the better team over New England. And who's the favorites of winning this game? The New England Patriots. So the Jets have something to put on their board going into week eight. And what is that? Beat Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Elijah Vera Tucker was a big loss. No question. Probably he was going to make the all-pro team this year. He was playing fantastic. L- look at what he has done transitioning from the guard position to the right tackle position. The offensive line automatically got better. But this injury, this elbow injury, and now it's, we heard it's a, it's a tricep injury. It's a significant injury. But is it going to hold him back next year? Not at all. He will be better, and he'll be ready for next, you know, next season when it begins. And bringing in James Robinson, you can, you can bring him back next year. They have another year that they can extend 
to the contract. He's only making $500,000. And they can give Brees Hall a little bit more time to heal before he's willing and they're well, willing to bring him back on the field. I think this is a good move for the Jets. You have a three-headed monster next year. And Michael Carter, James Robinson, and then Brees Hall. Arguably the best trio in the NFL going into next season. So I know Jet fans are upset about this. Is it going to hold them back from making the playoffs this year? The AFC is so bad right now. The Jets are one of the favorites to come out of the AFC as a wildcard team. Does Baltimore scare you? No. Does the Bengals scare you? No. The Chargers have too many injuries. They just lost J.C. Jackson. No. Let me not laugh about the Las Vegas Raiders and uh, the the Broncos. I mean, they, they could be firing their coach in a week. Russell Wilson might lose his starting job after giving away their future. I mean, they've looked horrible. Miami's played better, uh, and Tua winning last uh, this past week. But did they did they, did they win with pizzazz? No. Sixteen to ten against Pittsburgh—that's not good enough. So the AFC is wide open, and if you're a Jet fan, besides Kansas City and Buffalo, I think the Jets are the third best team right now in the AFC. Am I right or wrong, Speedy? Well, record-wise, that'll definitely show. And completion, when it comes to a well-rounded team, the Jets have a lot of good aspects to them, and one of which is how well they've battled through the injuries so far. Now, th- this upcoming test will be the biggest one with Elijah Vera Tucker because I actually think it's a bigger loss than Brees Hall for the reasons you just said. That he's so versatile on that offensive line, and for that scheme, the way he moves around so well for an offensive lineman, that kind of injury is definitely brutal for e- whether he played tackle, whether he played guard. He was fantastic in... In both impact plays, downfield blocking, zone read blocking, and he was the most complete lineman on that team. So now they'll have to p- try to patch that together. And I don't know if there's anyone else that can serve that specific type of role with the more exotic George type of blocking. George Font might be the closest thing, mm-hmm. but even he's not the he doesn't have the same level of quickness. Well, that, he wasn't 100 percent healthy. He was one of the best tackles in the league last year. Yeah, and he has played guard before. Yeah, and understandable. I I think. Last year was definitely his peak where you you never saw anything like that before, even in Seattle. And, and Herbig has played very well, too. Herbig's played well, which is fine. You don't – Elijah Vera Tucker's skill set is not only unique just to the Jets, but unique across the league. There's not a lot of offensive linemen that can do what he does. So that kind of thing is going to be very hard to replace conceptually. I, I think they have a tremendous amount of depth. Like I said, Max Mitchell, George Font, Herbig's played well. I'm I'm not saying that losing Elijah Vera Tucker isn't a big loss. I'm saying it's not as big as everybody thinks it's going to be because they have other guys coming back that could play and that are absolute good pieces that they can add to that offensive line. If George Font don't work, they have Max Mitchell. And I think, remember, George Font really all offseason wasn't 100% healthy. The Jets are giving him some time. They're giving him, I think they're giving him six weeks to heal up. He'll be ready with that bad knee. Look at what... Brown's done with that bad shoulder. He could have had surgery. He could be done with this season. But he decided to play with, uh, obviously, patched up shoulder. And he's played very well for the Jets. So, this line is patched up. But that's every team in the NFL. It's not just the Jets. Look what the Cowboys are dealing with. I mean, seriously. Look what the Bengals are dealing with. No, they're not not hurt. They're just still bad. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. The Jets... 
even last week against a pretty good defense, shut down a pretty good defense. They did. Now, they didn't score a lot, but they did enough to win against a very good defense. Now, the Patriots are a good defense. If you score 20 points against this team, you're beating them. <laughs> Look what the, the Chicago Bears did last night. The Chicago Bears are not a good team. They're not. And the Jets are going to have the opportunity, I think, this year to play Chicago. The Patriots are not a very good team this year. They're having quarterback controversies now. Yeah, You're talking about Mac Jones, who is going to look, lose his job, possibly, to a quarterback. What, what was that, a sixth-round draft pick? That tells you one thing about this Patriot team. This isn't the same old Bill Belichick Patriots. Now, their defense is good. That's fine. If they can't score, they won't beat the Jets. The Broncos couldn't score. They didn't beat the Jets. The Broncos didn't have one touchdown in that game. Not one. Uh, Yes, it wasn't Russell Wilson. But everybody else played. They couldn't run the ball against the Jets. And the Jets, in the last three weeks, have been one of the better Run-stopping defense in all of football. Maybe because uh, Ulbrich actually listened to Quentin Williams when he said, you know, stop rotating the, the defensive line. Play us all as much as you can play us and stop rotating the line. Since then, Quentin Williams from 60% of the snaps is playing almost 80% of the snaps. And he's been one of the more dominant defensive linemen in all of the NFL. I would say top three. And it's changed the Jets' defense. And their secondary, Whitehead and Joyner, they've been better in the last three games. Just don't put Joyner in man coverage and you're good, pretty much. And with Gardner there, and Michael Carter, the second, and DJ Reed. They're in a position. The Jets have one of the best defenses in the NFL. I would say top five, top six right now in the last three weeks. I will give Oldbrook credit for that. Once Joyner was getting toasted a lot at man coverage, they put Carter on Judy, and that made a big difference to them in the second half. I think the Jets right now are in position. If they beat the Patriots, no matter what happens against Buffalo, right. they will be 6-3 and three going into their bye week. Who would have thought the Jets... Would have been six and three with the schedule they had this year in a bye week. Yeah, and not with all the injuries they had either, with all the offensive line injuries. A couple on the defensive side of the ball as well. All now with the Elijah Moore situation, so you lose a receiver. And he'll and... be back this week. Now the question is, how much is he going to be back? Now, I, I I will say this about Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore has been nothing but a nuisance this year. I've watched obviously. Jets drive, and he's Michael Carter is a good friend of his. And you don't see Michael Carter complaining that Brees Hall was getting the touches. Mm-hmm. A matter of fact, he posted something up to Brees Hall. This is far from your future of where this team is going to go when you come back. Brees Hall has been a, a very important piece to where this team. And Brees Hall, even when he got hurt, he posted up trials and tribulations. I'm going through them. But we win. Let's effing go. That's something, that's a team player. Here's a guy in his rookie season, tears his ACL and his meniscus. 
He's not playing for the rest of the season. He was on his way to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And he's out for, and his team's winning, and that's all that matters to him. And Elijah Moore is complaining that he's not touching the ball. Bart Scott said it best. This isn't a single player's game. This is a team's game. He needs to learn how to be a team player, or he won't be here much longer. And I will say this about Robert Sala. Every single thing Robert Sala has said since week number two, he's been right. He said he said that he's going to be taking receipts. I took shots at him. I wasn't fond of what he said. And I said he's going to have to prove himself this year or he will be fired at the end of the season. And boy, oh boy, ever since then, the transition of this team, Garner speaking out, Elijah Vera Tucker speaking out, Quentin Williams speaking out, you don't know how good we're going to be. They have been saying this all offseason. We are much better than the experts predict us to be. And boy, oh boy, they're the third best team in the AFC. It's not even an argument right now. And if they beat the Patriots this week, they're going on to a head-to-head game before their bye week where they can knock off the number one seed, a lot of people believe, in the AFC going into the playoffs. And if they do that going into their bye week and go into their bye week 7-2, and two, who would have thought that? If they beat the Bills, that is a franchise statement win right there. That is the team culture altering win if they could do that because everybody thinks the Bills are the most complete, most dominant team in the NFL. So far, they've played like it. Them and the Eagles probably one and two. And if the Jets were to go in with that kind of adversity against them, with all the injuries on the offensive line, with this whole Elijah Moore situation, which, yeah, maybe it gets resolved, but it definitely will, might still stem internally, where it could be a little bit of a something they're going to have to overcome. And now with Brees Hall being hurt, too. Yes, you bring in James Robinson. James Robinson's a good running back, for sure, but the way Brees Hall was playing, he was the perfect fit for that scheme, and a younger guy that has the upside to be definitely a top-three running back in the NFL, if he, if he is healthy. So if they end up beating the Bills down the road, whether they beat the Patriots or not, that's the that's the statement game that'll say, all right, this is the elite football team, most one of the most complete teams that people have to respect. Have you ever clipped your nails before? Yes, I, I clipped my nails today, and I I, got, I I hate this. I went too far to the bone. Yeah. Okay, and it hurts. I, you know, I I don't know anybody. I don't know if anybody goes to the nail salon and guys do that now. They do. They they go to the nail salon. They get it. What is it? Pedicures or whatever? Medicures? What 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 is it? Uh, pedicures or feet? So manicures. Manicures and pedicures. See, I'm not I'm not very into that stuff, but uh, you know, obviously women are. But you know, today I decided, hey, you know what? I'm gonna do it myself. I over the last couple of weeks, my girlfriend has taken me to get my. Uh, you know, my hands fed, you know, my hands done. And I, I went too deep and I, I cut myself. It doesn't feel good. Ouch. Yeah, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if anybody's cut their nails. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of guys do. And they probably think it's weird when you go in, you go to the nail salon with your girlfriend. And you're trying <laughs> trying to get your nails done. But I, I used to do it myself. Now all of a sudden, and then this week I decided to do it myself and I went too far. Oh, boy. It hurts. Yeah. I'm bleeding. I'm oh. bleeding, ladies and gentlemen. Ouch. 
But uh, Ben says, hashtag Ben the Beeve. And a uh, shout out to uh, Chris Williams, a first time listener. Christopher Williams. And looks like a New York Giants fan. Got a uh, Lawrence Taylor jersey in his profile picture. Lawrence Taylor. By the way, I met Lawrence Taylor and interviewed him. Very nice guy. Mm. Uh, and one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pass rusher we've ever seen. Greatest outside rusher, probably. Maybe not overall pass rusher, but greatest definitely outside Why? You linebacker. think Reggie White? Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, Lawrence Taylor has said that over and over again, that Reggie White's the greatest, but who knows? Uh, Ben also says, Rodgers said his wide receivers can't catch or run correct routes. (laughs) His throws were all on target, according to his own assessment of their most recent game. Packers just signed tight end Babich from North Dakota State to the practice squad, who was recently released by Carolina. Again, tight ends are not your problem. You have a good tight end in Tunyon. You need receivers. There is no wide receivers available. Unless the Jets trade one of them, who's available? What wide receiver is available right now? They're hard to find. Yeah. That's what, they don't grow on trees, good wide receivers. That's why Elijah Moore is going nowhere. I know a lot of people, as soon as the Green Bay Packer fans knew that Elijah Moore was upset. The first thing, I, I know a bunch of Green Bay Packer fans. They hit me up on Twitter, and they tell me, oh, why don't the, the Jets make a move of Green Bay? Green Bay would definitely give up a, a second or third round draft pick. I don't want a second or third round draft pick for uh, Elijah Moore. I want a first round draft pick for Elijah Moore. If Green Bay needs a, run, a wide receiver that bad, they would do anything to trade for Elijah Moore. I I'd trade, and if they... If they're willing to give up a first-round draft pick, I'm sure Joe Douglas would be willing to trade Elijah Moore. I don't know. Would you? I, I don't know if the Packers they, – they do need a wide receiver badly, but they have a lot of other issues, too, where they can't – I don't know if they can they afford need, to do that. They need wide receiver. They definitely – it's their biggest issue now, for it's sure. It's the number one issue they but have. They have a lot of problems even besides that, too, so I don't even They know get Elijah that. Moore, they clean up that issue. They, they, that one issue, maybe, but again, they still have the other receivers, and they also still have a defense that's very underwhelming this it, year. They, An their offensive defense, line that's also very banged up. Their defense was supposed to be good this year. Really good this year. Yeah, and it hasn't been. So I don't know if it's a problem. I think it might be the coaching. What I Could think, be. they need a wide receiver. That is their biggest problem they have. And if they can get Elijah Moore from the Jets for a late, because it's going to be, well, actually, it'll be a mid yeah. Uh, mid-first-round draft pick mm-hmm. this year. And, and and that's probably where they're going to go in the first round this year um, because they didn't do it last year. Because they didn't have a chance to do it last yeah. year. They don't really all have of them off the board. Point. They don't really have a choice at this point. If you're picking that in the middle, whether you make the playoffs or you miss the playoffs by a little bit, if you're picking in the middle, there's enough wide receiver talent to be able to take something at, that, at least. But who knows? It's the Packers. They might be stubborn and petty towards I don't know Rogers what's going on with the Packers. I don't. And listen, if I was Aaron Rodgers, I'd be pissed off too. Mm-hmm. Now, I also am going to take shots at Aaron Rodgers because he didn't have to take $50 million a year in the offseason. Now, if he didn't take that $50 million contract a year, they could have had 15 or $16 million extra to give to another free agent wide receiver. Maybe they trade for Amari Cooper and take on a contract like that. Or... Go after Odell Beckham, who's still available right now. Mm-hmm. Who is probably going to be available right after week 10. That's what I'm hearing. But will it save them enough to be able to do it in the season? Because if they keep struggling, they still might be out of it. I think then. he's going to the Giants. I really do. I, I think Odell Beckham's going back to the Giants. I, I, I've been saying it, and I, I believe it. I, everybody thinks he's going. Why would he go back to the Rams right now? The Rams aren't making the playoffs right now. 
Who thinks that the Rams are going to sneak into the playoffs the way they're the, playing? The Rams are, yeah, the Rams are more like the 2020 Rams than they are like last year's Rams. Why would he go there? Everybody even, thought. Even if they do get in, I don't know if they're the same force in terms of a complete team because they also have a lot of offensive line issues as well, like the Packers. And while their defense has played very well, Matthew Stafford definitely isn't the same. And outside of Cooper Cup, really none of their skill players have been the same either. And... As a result, it's held back what has been a very conceptually good offense for a while. So they're not really operating the same way. They might squeak in because there's not a lot of good teams in the NFC. It's just they're not as complete going into the playoffs as a team like the Eagles or even even a team like the 49ers with Christian McCaffrey now who really don't have a major flaw on that team. And then even a team like the Vikings, too. If they can get any level of a secondary, they're a scary team. Ben is saying that Scheffner said that the Packers are trying to get more and Mims right now. Wow. And if they do that, they're going to have to give up a first-round draft pick. Mm-hmm. If they want both of those guys, you're, you're, you're probably going to have to trade away a first and a third or something like that. Yeah, and they have... A first and a fourth. Yeah, and they, they have... To get those two players. A, cho- a big choice with that in, in regards to if they think that coaching staff could be able to rebirth that kind of thing or if they... Because they're going to have to pay Denzel Mims at the end of next year if they're going to have to do that. And then Elijah Moore, if he develops like he should, is going to be another guy that they're going to have to pay the year after that. And the Packers really are struggling with money. The only way the Packers are going to get Elijah Moore is if they wow the Jets. That's the only way. Joe Douglas is not going to say, you know what, I'm just going to give away my second best wide receiver. He's not doing that. You're going to have to. Either give the first-round draft pick or give a second this year and a second next year to get him. That's what it's going to take to get him. He's not going to just hand him away and give him away. He's still the the second-best wide receiver. Now, Corey Davis gets healthy, which he probably will. They still have Garrett Wilson. They still have Corey Davis. They really don't – they have John um, um, Smith. They have – Wide receivers Barrios and running too. backs. Yeah. They, they have guys that can catch. They don't really need Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims is probably not playing anymore this year. And Elijah Moore, the only way you're going to get Elijah Moore is if you're willing to give away something of importance to your organization. And that's why I think when you're right there on the borderline, you're going to have to show something in order to have that kind of aggression too because Aaron Rodgers has the one year left, but again, he's getting $50 million cash-strapped the the team. So are you really in position? Can you trust in everything else with all the other issues you have too? It's not like they're... It's not are like you reading what Ben's saying right now? Jets told the Packers more was off the table. They're saying right now he's off the table. But if they're willing to throw in a first-round draft pick, it'll be hard for Joe Douglas to say no to that. Yeah. No, no, it's definitely going to be something where a team is going to have to get super aggressive and maybe start bidding against each other if it ends up being the case for Elijah Moore. Whether it's just one first-round pick or maybe it's a two and a three or a two and a four or something like that, where it's multiple picks – you're going to have to get in a bidding war where Joe Douglas is going to encourage that kind of thing because if he's going to trade Elijah Moore, he's going to do it in order to fleece teams. And that's why the Packers are going to have to maybe help, hope that they can get some other suitors to maybe 
battle for that. And Joe Douglas will be encouraged by that. Now, the Chiefs are probably the only other team that would go after that kind of thing right now because they could definitely use wide receiver help individually. And again, they have a pretty complete team where they can afford to be aggressive more than the Packers can because they're not as cash strapped and they don't have as many I don't issues. think the Chiefs need a wide receiver. They might not, but I'm just saying after that After what might... Hardman did the other day and, and how he played the other day, I, I think they're fine at the wide receiver position. They, they probably are. It, it, what it is is uh, you're comparing... We finally, we finally see Hardman stand out. A player that they drafted a couple of years ago as their second round draft pick. Finally, he stood out. Tyreek Hill has really been blocking his opportunities to be successful as a wide receiver in the league. Now, all of a sudden, Tyreek Hill is in Miami and he's getting his chance. He's getting his reps. And three touchdowns in a game stands out to me where they don't need a wide receiver. Why would they go after Elijah Moore? And there's no way the Jets are trading Elijah Moore for a second round draft. I just I can't see. Not it. not a, no. I said a two and a four or something like that. It'd be multiple picks. If it's just one pick, it'll be a first. Uh, ben says Packers have encountered the first no from the Jets yet. We'll see what the counter, if any, is going to be. Yeah, I think the only thing would be is it, it's a single one or a two and a four, something like that. Or if a team has a lot of draft picks, maybe a two and a late three, a, a late three that would be a compensation pick. A two and a three would would get Elijah. Yeah, Moore. Uh, get it. You just need the right thing to be a a, a bidding war because outside of, alright, if you don't think the Chiefs do, there's not a lot of other contending teams that quote-unquote need a wide receiver besides the Giants, but are the Giants going to trade all that when they have a lot of other issues on the their Jets team? The Jets aren't trading with the Giants. I don't think so either. The Giants are not really in a position to be like a super aggressive. They might make a small trade for a veteran at the trade deadline, but they're not in a position right now to make any kind of big trades. I, I give the Giants a lot of credit for, for the lack of really talent that they have on the field. Uh, Daniel Jones has looked really, really good in the second half of every single game he's played this year. Yeah. He really has. He and he's, he can fourth quarter comeback. And right he, he's taken over for this team. And, and for any Giant fan that gave up on him, and I've told the Giant fans, this is a guy that's had no talent around him besides Saquon Barkley. He's had nobody. And he's still winning. He is still winning with no talent around him. Who is his number one wide receiver right now? Wondell Robinson. <laughs> Seriously, or Slate, uh, Slayton, or Slayton. I, I mean, these guys. Slayton is a fourth or fifth round draft pick, and Wandell Robinson. A lot of people thought they were reaching in the second round. Yep. Okay, so now they're good players. They're NFL players. Are they Elijah Moore? Are they Garrett Wilson? No, they're not. So. The position that the Giants are in right now, and I, I think they're rated too high. The, Yahoo, before the show, we were looking at where Yahoo was rating the Jets and the Giants. Yahoo rated the Giants sixth in the league and the Jets 11. Okay, The Jets are more talented than the Giants are. It's not even an argument. They are. Now, they're 5-2 and two in an AFC that's better than the NFC. Not by much, but it's better. The Giants are in the easiest division in football. They are. That's why both, all three teams... Are either what five and one or six and one or, or six and zero, oh, whatever the re- the records. I think uh, the Eagles are six and zero. Oh, the Giants are five, uh, six and one. No, no, the Eagles are seven and zero. Oh. Six and zero. Oh, they just had their bye week. The bye week. So Giants are six si- and one. Six and one. And and the and the, and the Cowboys are five and two. Right. Correct. correct. So uh, Ben also says Aaron Rodgers after last game, guys, guys who are making too many mistakes shouldn't be playing. Got to right. start cutting some reps. Maybe guys who aren't playing, maybe give them a chance. Rodgers didn't actually exactly play great himself, so is he advocating for benching himself? I highly doubt that, Ben, but at this point, who knows at this rate with the way that Packers team is. I, I Listen, I hope the Packers find something to help Aaron Rodgers with because they're going down, and they're going down quickly. Three games in a row that they lost against three teams they should have beat. 
Now, the Giants, they should have beaten. They, they, they should have beaten. The Jets, I, I think the Jets match up very, very well against them. I didn't think they were beating the Jets. Even with a good wide receiver, they weren't beating the Jets. I didn't think it. And I, I know, Ben, you thought it was definitely going to happen. I thought the Jets were a better team. And then Washington, there was no reason why they lost against Washington. Washington is not a good team. Both those NFC teams barely beat the Packers. Barely beat them. The Packers were Aaron Rodgers was on the 15-yard line. They had two chances of putting the ball in the end, so couldn't do it against the Giants. Then against Washington, he had a chance in the end, at the end of the game with two and a half minutes left to take the team down and win the game, and he couldn't because nobody could catch the ball. This is, this is a problem. And we knew this was going to be a problem going into the season, even with the great Aaron Rodgers. So you sit here today, and if you're a Packers fan, or even if you're a Cowboys fan, and there's a lot of Cowboy fans, and they're, they're excited, and they should be. The Cowboys have a very good defense. And now that Dak Prescott's back, they're at full strength. They bring in Hankins uh, today to add to that defensive line that's really stellar defensive line because they had problems stopping the run. Now they had a, a, a big guy like Hankins in the middle play for the Giants. Yep, one of my favorite Giants, and they let him go when they cut everybody after 2017. <laughs> I mean, the Cowboys just got better and richer at that defensive line position. But again, if you're if you're a New York fan with the Buffalo Bills playing the way they are, the Giants playing the way they are, now the Jets, by their bye weeks, and I'm just making you know, the Jets could be six and six and three or seven and two. Or maybe even even if they're five and five by the Y bye week. I think that the worst they could be is five and four. Five and four. If they were to lose both games against the Patriots and the Bills, that would be the case. They'd be five and four. Nobody would have thought the Jets would be five and four going into their bye week. Yeah, and again, they had to win against those two AFC North teams, and then winning against the Packers, which again. I don't think a lot of people thought at the beginning of the season would beat the Packers either because the Packers were a team that was experienced. The Jets were a team that were young. So now we're seeing the Jets be a lot more of a complete team than the Packers are. The Packers have a lot of deficiencies on that defense, especially that defensive line. We were talking about how bad Washington's offensive line was, probably the worst in the league performance-wise this year. The Packers barely got a pass rush in that game, and that definitely showed, and their secondary hasn't looked as good either. Meanwhile, you look at a team like the Jets, they're getting a much more consistent pass rush. Was it amazing against the Broncos? No, but it was good on the stopping the run. It was good on the interior. And they were good when they needed to be. Listen to the Jets' schedule. They have the Patriots, the Bills, then they have their bye week. Then they have the Patriots again. Now it gets, it, besides the two games against Minnesota and the Bills, it gets very easy. They, yep. play, they play Chicago before the Vikings and the Bills. Then they play the Lions, the Jaguars. Seattle, is good, they're a good team this year. And then the Dolphins. Honestly, you're talking about after their bye week, if they lose against the Patriots, now they could they could sweep the Patriots this year. They could. They can absolutely. Do I think they'll sweep Bill Belichick? No. Nobody sweeps Bill Belichick. Nobody. Maybe the Bills do it this year because they're just so talented. Yeah. Maybe. They're, they're going to beat the Bears. The fact that the Patriots lost against the Bears last night just tells you one thing. This isn't the same Patriots. The Bears... The bad offensive line they have. 
the the inept offense, by the way, who, by the way, scored over 20 points against a defense that's pretty damn good. Justin Fields played well yesterday. He did. He did. He did. The Vikings, we don't know who they are. We don't know what they are. Yes, they have a winning record. Yes, they're one of the best teams in the NFC. We've seen the Vikings put up duds. Look what they did against the Eagles. Now, the Eagles are a good team. But if you have shut down corners and you could shut down their star wide receivers, which the Jets do, the Jets have two of them. And Jefferson's going to have problems because you know who they're putting Jefferson. Do you know who they're going to put Jeff, who on Jefferson? Yep, this will be a big test. That'll be a big test for Gardner. For well, that'll be a t- big test for They're Jeff putting, Ulbrich, yeah. for Jeff Ulbrich to be able to maneuver because we've seen Minnesota be able to decoy players well. Where Jefferson's actually done better this season against other top corners, and then struggles in games such as the Lions of all teams that don't really have great corners. So, can they get Jeff Ulbrich in that position to be able to do that? Because DJ Reed could be a slot guy too, and we saw that in certain instances in Seattle. Yeah, and I, I think I think they're going to try to keep him away from Gardner. I, I do because of his size and his ability mm-hmm. and his speed and his length. And Jefferson's a pretty big guy, but he Garner can keep up with him. And, and DJ Reed, like I said, they might use DJ Reed as a shadow. They might shadow him with DJ Reed the whole game. Because DJ Reed has been just as good as Garner has this year. So if there's anybody that can beat Minnesota this year, if those two guys stay healthy, it's the Jets. Those are the that is the most important position. If the Jets have a chance to make the playoffs. Those two corners have to stay healthy. It is so very important that those two guys stay healthy for the whole season. Because having two shutdown corners like that in your secondary says a lot about your team and says a lot about your players. And they have a lot of depth there. But you lose one of those corners for a significant amount of time, you're not the same defense. No. You're just not. Especially somebody like DJ Reed, too, who's very physical as well as well as Sauce. We knew Sauce was physical out of the draft, and now he's turning into a lockdown corner. But DJ Reed is also very physical, too, against somebody in Jefferson who has good quickness, good route running, can break press. But, again, if they could bracket him with somebody else, that could be the game plan, too. And also when you look at other, so a lot of their other matchups, too, where they have some top receivers that they could – do a lot of different things. DJ Reed is an X factor when it comes to his versatility. Uh, ben also says uh, Packers also considering Brandon Cooks now. I think that's, that's a, little a good more, idea. I think that's a little more likely. He's been on the trade block for a while, and also Chase Claypool, uh, Ryan McCarthy. Vikings is a winnable game. Yep. My biggest worries are the final two weeks of the year at Seattle at Miami. Uh, it's interesting because I think Minnesota is still very good conceptually. What I think the Jets, the biggest thing they're going to have to take advantage of in that game because Minnesota's really only roster flaw right now is their outside corners. They're pretty complete beyond that. But if they can get that deep passing game going later in the season, maybe they can do. Uh, Seattle's definitely winnable for the reason of the Jets can take out those receivers. And DK Metcalf is not 100%. Correct. And if he comes back this year, he won't be 100%. Now, he doesn't need surgery. We heard that he could be out a couple of weeks. Uh, it is a knee injury. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a high sprain in the knee or something like that. I don't know what the... Uh, what what is said that it is, but he is not going to need surgery. So, which means by that time of the season, DK Metcalf will be in the lineup. The question is, how how inept is he going to be in that game? Right. 
And you he's know? always been a player that's kind of inconsistent in his career, too, as is Lockett. And that's why I think the Jets— And they have a big guy that could shut him down. Yeah. That's why I think the Jets, I think, actually match up better in Seattle when it comes to that because they could also stop the run, too. And Kenneth Walker, again, he's ran well so far against some other good run defenses. But, again, most of his big games so far have come against— I would have loved to see Brees Hall versus Kenneth Walker. Yeah, I would have loved to see that. But also, you look at a case with the Jets where they've also taken out running backs that— should be better than him, and really the only game they've struggled against the run this year is against the Browns, and that's Nick Chubb, who's leading the league in rushing at the beginning of Week 7. I think now Saquon took him over, but still, you're looking at a case where that's going to be the tougher matchup for, I think, Seattle than it would be for the Jets. Minnesota, I think, is a little more complete where they could do other things. Miami is a tough one, Ryan, because, again, their defense is I don't think a my, Jekyll and Hyde type I do thing. not think Miami's going to be tough. The only tough part about Miami in this game is they're going to have Tua, who is a mobile quarterback, and who the Jets have had problems, a.k.a. Lamar Jackson, against mobile quarterbacks. Right. They have not played any mobile quarterbacks except Lamar Jackson this year. When they do seek and have to play a mobile quarterback, the questions will be, could they stop the mobile quarterback? Now, Josh Allen is a mobile quarterback, one of the better ones in the NFL. I'm, inter- I'm interested to see how they stop uh, a guy like Josh Allen because they don't have any running game. Without Josh Allen, they have zilch. And I believe Buffalo will go after a running back before the trade deadline. I don't know who. I was very surprised that the Jets got James Robinson because I would have thought it would fit better. He would have fit better with Buffalo than with the Jets. Yeah, I was very They're surprised. Probably down to Cam Akers at this point. So I, really I, no one I was very surprised that the Jets landed James Robinson as fast as they did, and and what they got him for too. They got him for nothing. Yep. So it, which is really crazy. James Robinson to me was worth at least a fourth. He was worth the fourth. You wonder if Buffalo might have been seeking something else because remember how close they were to McCaffrey too and they had two different offers on the table for that and the 49ers outdid them. So maybe they were had some other players in mind and then they didn't really think James Robinson was as available as the Jets thought he was. I couldn't believe it. When I heard that – and Josh Silverberg told me that James Robinson would be a great fit. And, and when, they, when I heard – and he actually sent me the post – he was the first person to send me the post that James Robinson's heading to the Jets for a sixth-round draft, but possible fifth round, depending if the Jets make the playoffs and he's a big part of that playoff run. You know, So I don't know if that's going to happen, but nevertheless, adding James Robinson. And by the way, you have control over him next year. Correct. So they, they're going to bring back James Robinson next year, and they're going to have a three-headed monster when Brees Hall comes back. You're, you're talking about... Not one, not two, but three running backs that could run the ball as good as all of them could. And and th- next year's the year. Next year's the year. This could be a great year for the Jets. The Jets can make the playoffs, make a run. Who knows? Shock the world and go to the AFC title game. I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl, but who knows? The Bengals did, so maybe it's possible. Okay? And it would be an unbelievable, miraculous Thing to watch the Jets go to a Super Bowl this year when nobody would have expected it. And that usually happens. But I believe it's next year's team that's going to transition this team. We're going to be talking about the Jets next year as a Super Bowl contender. Everything that they're doing this year, I believe that the, a lot of this, the, the, I guess you could say, the smart people or the, uh, what do they call them? Uh, gurus. The gurus of the NFL are going to take the Jets as maybe a Super Bowl contender next year. I believe they will be. Mm-hmm. They have money. They'll, they'll have some money off the board. They have to sign Quinn Williams. They're going to have a lot of draft stock, 
They they they're going. They gave up a sixth this year uh, uh, in this. They had two six-round draft picks. I think they have another fifth too. The Jets have like eight or nine picks next year. Or something like that. They're going to be thought of, I think, next year. They're going to be thought of a lot like the Chargers this year. Like they're a very complete team. Can they make that next leap? Is the big thing. It's all about Zach Wilson's growth. If Zach Wilson now, the Jets have been very calm and careful with him. They've been very careful with him, as well as the Giants are with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones don't have weapons. The Jets do, but you see Zach Wilson and and. and the the wide receivers are not finding opening routes, and they're playing very good defenses. This week, they're playing a very good defense. They are. So the questions are, are these wide receivers going to get open when they start playing? Now, Buffalo and pa- the Patriots are very good defenses. After that, they play the Patriots again. They're playing Chicago. They're a good defense. Their secondary is horrible. Yeah. The Jets are going to be able to throw against them. Then you have Minnesota. Minnesota is not a very good secondary. Not what like they were the last year. Yeah, and the, the, really the outside corners are their major significant flaw. Lions, Jaguars, Seattle, <laughs> all three teams have no secondary. Yeah. And the Dolphins, we don't know when their secondary show up one day and they don't show up another. Yeah. So you, you don't know. These four games are winnable games. The Jets could very much, the last four games of the season, go 4-0. Yeah, the Minnesota is the only one that's going to be tough in terms of a complete defense. Because you're right, Miami's are kind of a Jekyll and Hyde defense. They, their pass rush has been an X factor where it's been good most of the season, but really has disappeared in certain fourth quarters. You look at even the Steelers game, too. The, the Steelers have a really bad offensive line, and Miami couldn't really get any pressure in that game, and they almost lost that game as a result. And even the Jets, week five, you look, a lot of instances where they haven't been looking good. Detroit's defense is horrible. Jacksonville's defense is actually performing well for their standards, but it's still nothing special. And the Jets definitely could still Jacksonville could still make the playoffs. Indianapolis Possibly, is done. yeah. They're 3-3, three and three, but they've given up on uh, Matt Ryan. They've given up no, on him. No, I think they're done too. I think they I think did. I, they're giving up on him. They, I, he is not. They just. They just said that they're. What's the kid? Uh, Sam Ellinger is going to start. going to start. He's going to start for the rest of the season. They said it. Matt Ryan, you will not see on the field unless Ellinger gets hurt. Right. But again, like the. I think the eight teams you mentioned, I think, will be the, the teams in the realm when you look at Miami, the Chargers, the Jets, uh, Ravens, Bengals, and then. The Chiefs and the Bills, I think, and the Titans. Those will be the eight teams that will be looked at. I, I think the Colts are still right now on the outside looking in, and the Jaguars still have to prove a little more for me to judge. If the Jets don't bomb the next couple of weeks, they win one out of these two games against Buffalo and the Patriots, they're in very good shape in their bye week. Very good shape where they can win going into their second half of the season where they can win four games and, and if they win 10 games, they're in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. If they win 10 games, they win nine games, they're in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They win 10, they're definitely in the playoffs. Definitely. And, and that's where Joe Douglas is looking at this right now. Right. There, there is a possibility that they could be a top wild card team. You're talking about a possible third seed. Third seed. It would be, it would be a lot, big wild card team for the fact of their schedule being pretty easy. And you, you look at a case of the other teams being in the – in that realm, the Chargers have a very hard schedule. The Bengals, the Ravens, whoever comes out of that, 
is still going to have a tough schedule too. When you look at their own division, they even, they played each other once, but they haven't even played a lot of those division games too. And the Jets, after these these two weeks, will get the Bills out of the way. Let's say they lose to the Bills, like everyone expects them to. They beat the Patriots. So that's a lot of your division out of the way already too. And really, the only hard game, super hard game after that, is the Bills the second time in Minnesota. So you're looking at a case where ten and seven or eleven and six is very realistic. It's going to be very interesting. It really is. And if you're a Jet fan, you should be very excited. A Giant fan, excited. Now, the Giants don't have the talent, uh, I think, to hold up the way they're playing right now. But what a crazy, crazy week for New York football. It really has been. Mm-hmm. And if you're, a, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, a Jets fan, a Giant fan, oh, you have something to cheer about. Because after watching the Yankees, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing to say about that team right now. And an offseason of just hell for the New York Yankees because they don't know who their GM is going to be. They don't know who their manager is going to be. And they definitely don't know if they're going to be able to resign their superstar bopper in Aaron Judge, who his agent has come out and said $500 million or nothing. So uh, I don't know where that's going to go. It's definitely not going to the Yankees because they're not paying up $500. Nah, not I, a chance. I don't think that's realistic anyway, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> they're not going to give him $300 million. So I, I think he's done. I, I do not believe he'll be But I've been saying that for years. So we'll get, that, we'll get into that when we come back with our very special guest. We'll be talking to Richmond baseball head coach and former Dodger and Cardinals infielder Tracy Woodson here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. Six three one six seven two thirty one zero eight is the number. You're listening to the Sports Loudmouths. Check out our website www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, which is Apple. Search us at WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have a first guest and uh, very interesting guy. Uh, I definitely checked out a little bit about him before we uh, we were going to have him on the show, and we now have him. We are now talking to Richmond Baseball head coach and former Dodgers and Cardinals infielder Tracy Woodson. Tracy, what's up, bud? What's happening? How you guys doing? We are good, man. You know who you look like? You look like my friend. I, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to th- throw him off on this, but you look like somebody I know. It, it's pretty crazy. I have to send you the picture. You will be very surprised that you look like this guy. But uh, – okay. I'm gonna send it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna check this interview. But how are you and your family doing after the whole uh, pandemic? We're 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 great. Um, Everything was fine, and uh, just glad it's that. Well, I don't guess it's completely over, but you know, we're we're through the the most difficult parts of it. So everything is great here. As everybody knows, we are talking to Richmond baseball head Cardinals infielder Tracy Woodson. So before we get into some baseball, major league baseball, and your career, what is it like? playing professional baseball, and then all of a sudden, over the last couple of years, transitioning as a head coach uh, for college baseball? Um, it's, it's different. I, you know, I played for 14 years, and I, I coached and managed for eight um, in pro ball. Um, so I was 22 straight years in pro ball. Uh, and then uh, I was remarried and had a daughter that was born during that time, so I stopped the pro ball stuff. And it took me about a year and a half to get a college job. And so this will be my 17th year. And uh, it, it's just different. I, you know, I can I kind of run my own schedule, you know, recruit the players that I want to play for me and not what's given to you, you know, in pro ball and uh, set my own schedule. 
So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot more family time. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm big on that. My pitching coach has two young kids and, you know, he'll come to me sometime and say, Hey, you know, Tracy got a T-ball game today. And I said, go, you know, we'll change <laughs> practice time around. I don't miss my kids when they play. So, um, that's important to me now. And, um, I've actually got a, an older son from my first marriage. Um, he's 33. And he's the head tennis coach at Baylor. Really? So, nice. Yeah. So it's one of the top five programs probably in the country for tennis. Good and, um, they've got all the, it's amazing. I'm where my son and I are getting ready to go there Thursday. Um, and he's got, you know, the best facilities in the country, indoor six courts, 12 courts outside. They pack the place when they play big 12 matches. And um, so it's um, yeah. So I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, see him a lot when I was, you know, in pro ball, just because of, you know, um, the situation, right. but uh, everything's great now. So, so since the last time we had you on the show, the mm-hmm. transfer portal has been very active in college sports in particularly uh, with football, but even in some of the other sports too. So how has that changed the way you've coached and the program has really managed a lot of these players? Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. I, I, I don't like it for, I don't like it for college baseball. Um, you know, they've done away with the one-time transfer rule. Um, to have where, where you have to sit out for a year. So it's, it's the wild, wild West in baseball too. And uh, you know, we, we, we fill spots that are needed uh, immediately. So if I say I lose two catchers, I can go out and get a grad guy or somebody from out of the portal and, and you try to fill in a spot that that's needed. We, we don't bring in grad guys not to play. So we're, we're not going to over recruit in that sense. But um, I think, you know, you'll see that with most schools. Now you'll just, you'll see guys the next year, you know, playing somewhere else that you played against them. They were on another, at another school that the, the previous year. So um, it's, it's just, it's a different animal now. As everybody knows, we are talking to Richmond baseball head coach and former Dodgers and Cardinals infielder, Tracy Woodson. Tracy, when, when you talk about recruiting and it, it's so different when, when you talk about college recruiting for football and college recruiting for basketball, what is it like going out and trying to find a pitcher that would fit your team or, an infielder that will fit your team. And, and a lot of these baseball players, they they play four years of college baseball. They don't, they're most of them don't do what football players do. After two years, they can go to the NFL and basketball players, they play one year and they can go into the NBA. So what is it? What do you look for in a pitcher, an infielder or an outfielder with a good arm? What, what do you look for when it comes to talent, when you're recruiting a player? I think I think most coaches in college, you're, you're looking for athletes. You're, you're trying to find that athlete that can play. Um, you know, you're looking for pitching. You know, when I go out, I'm not a pitching guy, but I look at somebody that's got, you know, the arm is loose. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get the 95-mile-an-hour guy to high school. They're going to go to a power five or they're going to get drafted. So, uh, you know, I'm looking for those guys that have a loose arm. they got a little bit of velo, but somebody that can, you know, really pound the strike zone. Um, you know, those are the kinds. And then we have to get them there and develop them. Um, you know, I can I can watch a, a kid play shortstop, take ground balls and just watch his actions. Launch angle came out a few years back, man. I just I could not stand it. Um, you know, you're you're telling kids launch angle and this many degrees and kids are swinging up. And when your bat doesn't go through the zone for a long period of time, you're just looking at kids that are going to strike out. And, you know, we played a few teams in college like that. And shoot, we, we chew them up and spit them out. It's just. It's, it, you're, you're just, it's not good. I mean, you're, you're trying to teach young kids to hit the baseball, to make contact. And um, so we're, we're looking for the swing. We're looking for, you know, really good actions. And um, I think, you know, then your admissions at Richmond, it's, it's, it's like an, it's like an Ivy league school, man. It's, it's a, it's really good academics. And, you know, we have to have those type of kids that we bring in. 
So do you think in college baseball as a whole, it's prioritize? you think it'll ever prioritize to where it gets more analytical than it does traditional? Because we've interviewed a lot of other coaches, too, who have said that the starting pitching is still kind of traditional in college baseball. Do you think it'll transition where the analytics take over, or do you think it'll stay that way? I think you've got different views. You know, I'm not a huge analytics guy, but, you know, I've got young coaches that are all about it, and they bring me, you know, they'll bring me statistics and, um, you know, just different matchups and, um, you know, I'm listening to them. Uh, it, it's hard for me in college. Your starting pitchers are your best pitchers. You may have one for us, for a mid-major. We may have one or two guys in the bullpen, but my starting pitchers are the best pitchers. And for me, if they're going, you know, five, six, seven, eight innings and they're doing well, I'm not taking that guy out. Um, you know, we're not going to throw them 130 pitches or something. We do, we, you know, we're monitoring their pitch count. But, you know, I, I think it, it's hard to do that in college because they're just – you know, they're just we, we don't have 15 guys you can throw out there that can get anybody out at any time. So we, we have to you know, we have to have our best pitchers out there as much as we can. As everybody knows, we are talking to Richmond baseball head coach and former Dodgers and Cardinals infielder Tracy Woodson. So when we get into what went on this year when it came to baseball, you played for the Cardinals and the Dodgers, two teams that were high-profile teams, the Cardinals making it as a wild card, the Dodgers obviously having the best record in baseball and falling completely on their face against the Padres. What were your thoughts this season with the Cardinals play and even the Dodgers, who were just absolutely fantastic in the regular season, and I don't know, they forgot how to swing in the playoffs? So I'm actually um, I am doing a radio show here in Richmond once a week um, before each series, and um, I'm, I'm picking each series and picking the teams. And mm-hmm. um, I, I grew up in Richmond, so I know a lot of people here, too. And people were shocked. I had the Dodgers losing. Mm. Um, I had the Yankees losing. Um, I, I really thought the Yankees would lose the first round as well. But you, you got when the Dodgers were set up and went 111 games in a bad division. I just that's just not a very good division this year. You know, your second place team is San Diego that. They, I don't know, 22, 23 games out of first place. But um, once you got past Will Smith at the cleanup spot, there's a lot of strikeouts. Muncie, Trace Thompson, Taylor, Bellinger. It's too many strikeouts. And when you get into to the playoffs, you're facing teams that have at least two giant pitchers um, that, can, that can handle the hitting. And, you know, I think the layoff probably hurt them a little bit as well. Um, taking the, you know, as, as being the number one seed and getting five days off or six days off, whatever it was. Um, and the injuries they had in pitching, I mean, they were set up for the long haul. They have 18 to 20 really good arms, and they can rotate them during the year to survive and, and win 111 games. But when you get when you get to the playoffs and it's only a five-game series, you know, they weren't going to hit. And, uh, you know, they were – you know, San Diego was better in that series. So you were a guy that played both first base and third base in your career, and we've seen a lot of utility players, guys that are multi-positional, take over the game. Do you, can you see it getting to the point, maybe outside of a pitcher and a catcher, where it gets very specialized, or not the opposite of specialized, where it gets very versatile and it takes over, where it becomes kind of positionless in a way? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I really like that we're going back to the shifts, no shifts next year. I think it's taken away from the game. I mean, it's – you know, you're, you're, you you don't have a ton of guys hitting over 300. You don't have a ton, you know, you got to hit the ball out of the ballpark or, or you know, you got seven guys playing on one side that, you know, it's it, most guys that they can't go the other way. And that's just part of it. But I think it brings back a lot more excitement with that rule. Uh, I'm not a big, I'm not in favor of the pitch, the pitch clock. We, we've got that in college and 
just I, I just don't like it. Um, you know, I know some kids are, are slower than others, but, uh, you know, to me, the time is, gosh, you're giving two and a half, three minutes in between innings, take some of that time away, too. But, you know, when people pay their money, they're not looking for a two minute, two hour and five minute game. There's nothing wrong with a three hour game. So um, but I think this the specialization, you know, if you can have guys that can play multiple positions, that's great. But go to the Dodgers. You know, Bellinger's played right field, center field, first base. Muncie's first base, second base, third base. You know, the, Turner's been out. I mean, you know, put somebody in a spot and let them stay there. They're, you know, the, the right, left stuff. These guys are good enough hitters, um, you know, to be able to face righty and lefty pitching, to be able to hit the ball. But um, I think when you, you don't have – you got 15 guys that are getting over 100 at-bats or whatever it may be, I think that's a lot. I mean, you know, when you're sticking with the teams that – you know, I, I go to Houston. I think Dusty Baker is a, a great manager. The players love playing for him. But you watch, and Verlander's going seven or eight innings. You know, uh, it, it's just they, they don't take him. McCullers, you know, is going to go as long as he can because he throws so many breaking balls. But he stays with them when they're hot. It's not five innings, and now you're done because you're going through the third time through the lineup. Um, I just I think that's difficult. And, you know, then you're relying on four guys to come in for one inning each. All four guys aren't going to be perfect, and that's what happened. Their their fifth, uh, what is it, fourth game when they they mm-hmm. got eliminated. Two of their guys come in and give up five runs, and, and it, you know they blow a three nothing lead. Anderson had eighty four pitches in five innings, one hit, eight punch outs. I don't know why he comes out of the game. Nobody said Dave Roberts was the best postseason manager either. <laughs> well, he's he's. I mean, he set up the win during the regular season, and mm-hmm. um, you know. But the other thing is too, you got to be hot. I mean, if you mm-hmm. if you get cold in the playoffs. You can be eliminated so quickly. So I'm the I mean, only he, I'm the only one to pick Philadelphia to go all the way to the World Series. Nobody in their right mind thought that Philly. And I I said it because Atlanta last year nobody expected to go to the World Series. They squeaked in. They played very good in the second half because of that trade and that trade. Uh, those three trades at the trade deadline transitioned them all the way to the playoffs, and they were the hottest team going into the playoffs, and they went all the way to the World Series, and it was very easy for them to win the World Series last year. And now I think the Philadelphia Phillies uh, transitioning and changing uh, managers the way they did with Girardi, who was stunk. They t- they gave it to Thompson. They started to buy into Thompson and, and what Thompson believed and, and the way they should be playing. Less power, more hitting and pitching, and even their bullpen played better ever since he's taken over. And you see the difference of what Philadelphia is. And they have stars. They got Bryce Harper. They have players like that. And Schwarber, Schwarber who was hitting the way he was hitting throughout the, the whole season with power. So I, I think they, are, they have been, you know, to me, the, not the, just a surprise, the, the team that I believe that, you know, when, that's what you see in baseball, hot teams. Kansas City did it a couple of years ago against the Mets. They were the hottest team. They went into the playoffs and they won. So that's that I believe is the way baseball is. Like you said, it's all about being hot at the right time. If your bats are hot, your pitching's going to be good. The Yankees' pitching was good. It was good. It wasn't bad. It was enough that you give up four runs or three runs, and you're the Yankees. You usually win in the regular season. You usually win in the playoffs. Not quite. If you can't, if you can't get three or four runs in the playoffs, you might as well go home. You're not going to win, and that's why the Yankees couldn't win. They couldn't hit. They were swinging at anything. I mean, I felt the win over here. So, well, I had them not being knocked out because if you look at the Yankees offensively, there there are no. I mean, Aaron Judge, Rizzo. Who I can't I can't 
as, as an outside of not being a New Yorker outside of that area, I can't name all their players. Mm. There, there is no star power in that lineup. And, you know, you, you hit it on the head. They, they, well, they can't beat the Astros. That's for one thing. But when you strike out that many times in a game and you don't hit very well with men in scoring position, you can't win games. They could basically pitch around judge and, and you, you can win that game. I mean, the, it's the first time I've really watched a Yankee team that did not have a lot of names that mm. you recognize as an outsider. And, and and that's a problem with the Yankees and over the last couple of years. And I don't blame Aaron Boone and I don't blame uh, obviously Brian Cash. Brian Cashman did what he needed to do at the trade deadline. He added a pitcher, Frankie Montez. The guy wasn't 100% healthy. Now, maybe in a full season this year, maybe he's a better pitcher. Uh, Andrew Benatendi, who was a, he was an all-star. He was, he, he was up for the batting, batting title this year and f- fell off when he, he was batting 200 when he came to the Yankees. And that's not the Yankees' fault. That's the hitter's fault that he couldn't hit. So a lot of people like to point fingers. And then Bader, by the way, everybody took shots at Bader. <laughs> everybody took shots at Bader and that move because of Montgomery and what he did in the second half. Did Montgomery pitch in the playoffs? Not at all. Did he do anything in the playoffs for them? Not at all. Okay? Bader, he had five home runs. He was the best hitter for the Yankees. He hit over 300 in the playoffs. What, you, what do you want? And it was a, besides the last game and the drop, the, the last two games of that Astros series, that drop ball, which I believe was Aaron Judge's fault because he was blocking his sight. I mean, Bader was a shutdown defender, too. There was nothing I thought on that trade that was bad. Brian Cashman makes his bad trades and he makes his good ones. Yeah, well, when it comes down to it, you're not going to fire all the players. No. That, that's, the, that's the hard part. You can't, you know, whatever the roster size is now, 25, 27, whatever it is, you're not firing all the players. You can add pieces, but, you know, the, the people at the top are the ones that are the fall guys, and that's, you know, that's kind of what happens. Mm. Meanwhile, you still have Josh Donaldson robbing you of $23 million. 25. $25 million and doing nothing. Well, I think the Yankees will buy him out. I, I will be because he has one more year left on his contract. The Yankees will buy him out, negotiate a deal where they can give him a 16 or $15 million, buy him out, and be done with Josh Donaldson because he couldn't hit. The guy's not the same player he was in 2015, 16, and 17. He's not the same hitter. And, and honestly, he has more of a mouth and he doesn't shut up on the field. Than any player I've seen in baseball, he is horrible. He and, and and everybody says, well, they wanted his glove, they needed his glove. Really, they needed his glove. How many times did we see Josh Donaldson throw the ball all over the field? I mean, it was horrible. Their defense, which was one of the top five defenses throughout the season, they had six errors in that Houston Astros series. Six. The two best players were their two youngsters, Cabrera and Peraza, when they did play. I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible defense. And it's not Aaron Boone's fault. I know Yankee fans want to blame it on the manager. It's his fault. Uh, Aaron Boone wanted to blame it on the, the uh, what is retractable it? Retractable roof. Retractable roof. I mean, everybody wants it. The umpires were horrible in the series. They were absolutely horrible. But here's the thing. And if I was the manager of the Yankees, here's what I would have said to my players after the end of the game. And you're a manager. You know all about this. Why are you swinging? Why are you swinging at bad pitches? Let the pitchers work. If the strike zone is so big and so weird, let them pitch against you. Let them throw those high fastballs. Why are you swinging at them? They swing at every first pitch, and they were all outside or up or low. What the hell are you swinging at? You're a manager. What would you say to your players? Well, we try. I mean, what we talk about is you try to get the first best fastball that you can get, and you don't miss it. Um, but yeah, our, our biggest thing is not to not strike out. You got to put the ball in play. <laughs> Don't tell the, the Yankees that. 
Don't tell the Yankees so, I mean, that. Oh God. That's, well, you know. <laughs> oh my God. Sixty-two strikeouts. You can't get any worse than that. And Justin Verlander and the umpires, like they needed to help Justin Verlander. Let's be honest. I mean, that that pitching staff is fantastic. That is a great, great pitching staff. But the Yankees, the Astros didn't kill the Yankees. They didn't beat them up. If the if uh, uh, Glaber Torres didn't make that error mistake, this goes to a game. A game five. It would have went to a game five. Glaber Torres made a big mistake. Those mistakes are very costly in the playoffs. You could do that in a regular season. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to remember that. In the playoffs, you're, you might be finding another job in the offseason. Because the Yankees might say, you know what? You suck. You can't play in the playoffs. We're trading you. So, And that's what happens when you're on a, a big league team like that where they expect to win every year. And Yankee fans, and you know this, I'm a, Yan- I'm a Yankee fan. I, I take shots at Yankee fans all the time. Why are they bitching and moaning? You are a top four team in the major leagues. You're top four. Four. That, that you are – there are 30 – how many teams are in the, in the – 30. 30 teams in the, in the MLB. You are one of the four best teams in the major league, and you're complaining that you lost in the ALCS? Yeah, you got dominated. Did you really think that you were going to beat the Astros the way you've been playing against uh, the, Cleveland, the Cleveland Guardians? There was not a chance that you were going to beat them the way you were playing. You were lucky to beat the Guardians. And I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm going to say the truth. It's the truth, right or wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And I'll go back to, to Aaron Boone, and you're talking about managing. You know, I, I think for the big leagues, I think you're you're basically giving your lineup, for mm-hmm. the most part, the the manager, the, he, he is good or bad, I think, based on how he uses the pitching. Mm-hmm. Handles the bullpen. You know, you got to go through 162 games during the year. You got to be able to manage those games throughout the year. That's that's the big thing. I think he did a good job. I, I I think his bullpen played very well for all the injuries the Yankees had going into that series. They had six bullpen guys injured, six of them, six of them. And Chapman, they told him not even to come because he wouldn't show up to the workouts. Don't even come. We don't want you. Get rid of him. Okay. This is the problem. And Britain, they bring Zach Britton back. He's hundred percent. Oh, his shoulder gives out. First game back in the major leagues. I mean, after two years. It's just bad luck, and the Yankees' bullpen just died out in the second half of the season. Why? Because their starting pitching couldn't last after five innings. And this is the problem with the New York Yankees. Look at the, look at the Astros. They have three pitchers. Three pitchers that pitch six and a half innings almost every single game this year. Six and a half. That takes an, a, an, um, an inning and a half away from your bullpen. That saves your bullpen. That gives your bullpen time to rest. You know all about that, my friend. You're a manager. You know what it is. You save your bullpen. You give your team the opportunity to rest certain players where they're ready for the playoffs. I, I agree. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's injuries is a big deal. Um, but, you know, you you got to have the pitching. It's got to last throughout the year. you got to be able to have guys in AAA that can come up at some time to help, and that becomes the big issue at the end of the year. And you can tell when they start setting those rosters for this each series, you can kind of tell how they are and, you know, either who's not doing well or who's hurt, and then, you know, you're missing names. But, you know, I think the Chapman thing was, uh, you know, he was what a moron. somewhere or whatever. What a moron. That guy is a moron. Who the hell? Okay, and by the way, we are talking to Richmond baseball head coach and former Dodgers and Cardinals infielder Tracy Woodson. Who the hell gets a leg tattoo in the middle of the season? What idiot as a pitcher 
on your throwing pitch, your, your throwing leg, where your landing leg. What idiot would do that in the middle of a season? I don't know. Chapman, he's the idiot. He's the dumbass. And then he has an infection in his leg for almost two weeks and misses a significant amount of time for the Yankees where he wasn't the same pitcher after that. The guy's a moron, okay? And anybody that picks him up in the offseason because the Yankees are getting rid of, him, rid of him, they're idiots. The Mets, beware. The Cardinals, beware. The Dodgers, beware. Any team that wants to pick up a moron like that, be effing where. Terrible, 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 terrible. Uh, uh, enough said on him. Okay? The sad thing enough is I said. think the Mets could actually do that, unfortunately. I am <laughs> sick to my stomach with the, some of the pitchers and some of the excuses that the Yankees had in the offseason. By the way, Aaron Judge's agent saying that he, they're looking for $500 million. Good luck. Good luck. Farewell, Aaron. Go over there to San Francisco and lose. Because that's what's going to happen. You're going to lose. You're not even close. San Francisco is not beating the Dodgers. They're not beating the Braves farm system, the Cardinals. There's so many. The Mets, there are so many better teams than San Francisco. Why would you go there? At least with the Yankees, you have a chance to win every year because the Yankees are not going to be a losing organization. San Francisco, (laughs) give me a break. I'm sorry. Good luck. Give them $500 Goodbye. Farewell. So okay. yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see Judge leaving New York. To be honest with you, I think that would be a major. Uh, oh, I do. I've been saying uh, it for know. a long time. It's, it's, it's for me. It's like losing Trout or Otani with the Angels. If, if they lose one of those, I mean, that's the only thing they've got right now. But uh, what Judge did this year, I just it's hard for for an organization to give up a player like that. I mean, I I don't I don't see the five hundred million either, but. Um, I see where they try to they they've got to try to keep him somehow. I, I think that if they lose Judge, there are other players that are going to be on a trade block in the offseason. The 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 Yankees could fit, they're not going to get the numbers that Aaron Judge gave him this year. But is Aaron Judge going to have the numbers that he had this year next year? Probably not. If they can get a similar one or two players that could hit in the playoffs, I mean, Correa is a good player. He actually could play and hit in the playoffs. He's a piece that the Yankees could add. They won't have to pay him $300 million. They can give him $150 million for four or five years. I think Correa would take it. Okay, And then you can add somebody else in the outfield, another bat that can hit for average. I don't know if the Yankees are willing to give this guy, and I like Aaron. I really do. I think he's a great kid. He's a good face of the Yankees and, and baseball. He's a great face for baseball. I don't think he wants to be a Yankee. I, I really don't. I, if he wanted to be a Yankee, this wouldn't be going on. I would have, If I was Aaron Judge, I would say, listen, I'm a Yankee. I'm going to be a Yankee. That's what – Derek Jeter said it. Remember when he became when he he was on his last contract, his second contract, and he was upset that Alex Rodriguez got that big contract, and he said I should get Alex Rodriguez number that some kind of money like that, and and Derek Jeter, but Derek Jeter said he didn't go back and say, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to free agency, I'm gonna see what's out there. No, Derek Jeter said, listen, I expect to get good money, but from the Yankees, I'm a Yankee, I will be a Yankee, and I'm staying a Yankee. That's what he said. He, he, There's he not that many players that do that anymore. You're not going to have the Ripkins and the Jeters and guys like that. They're going to be with the same organization year in and year out. And the thing is, is the Yankees are never going to rebuild. They're just going to try to reload. So they'll get enough players to be competitive. That's mm-hmm. for Dagon, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. If they don't sign Judge, that gives them a lot of money mm-hmm. to go out and find what they need. Absolutely.
So I want to move on to your uh, your playing career. It actually says on your Wikipedia page, uh, you hit your first career home run off of Nolan Ryan. Tell the fans about that. Yeah, um, you know we didn't have we didn't have much video back then, and uh, scouting reports and uh, you know, a couple of guys before the game. It's probably I don't know. It was like the seventh eighth game of my big league career, and um, you know a bunch of guys gather in the dugout. And they they talk, and there was no meetings and stuff like that with your hitting guys and. <laughs> Um, they, they, he doesn't know you, you don't know him, look for the fastball. And it was first pitch, um, just fastball right, right down the middle. And I swung and I don't even remember running the bases. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just like, you're trying to like, Oh my God, I, you know, this, and I ran the bases and next time up, he threw one out of my head, but, um, and I wasn't ever scared of anybody. And I got back up and I could, my knees were kind of banging. And the next pitch was probably a little up fastball up and I swung and popped it up. I was ecstatic just to get the hell out of there. <laughs> So I, you know, I ran to first and jogged back to the back to the dugout. So, as everybody knows, we are talking to Richmond baseball head coach and former Dodgers and Cardinals infielder Tracy Woodson. You've been in baseball for a very long time, not only as a coach but a player. You were in baseball, I think, for twelve years, if I'm not mistaken. Was it twelve, yeah, thirteen? I played for fourteen. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I joke with people. I've, I've never had a real job. I've been <laughs> nothing but baseball, and good for you. So yeah, so I just turned sixty last week, and. So I've you're only 20 years older than me. College, 40 years, 40 years from since I went to college. So nothing but baseball. You're 20 years older than me, and I'm I'm working on being in in my profession and putting my foot in the door with my profession as long as I've been doing it. So I'm talking about nationally. I'm what we have been doing here in New York is we're, we're one of the bigger more profiled radio shows out here, and we're the only one here on Long Island that's live on 103.9. So it's building it and going on a national stage is where we want to go. And, uh, you know, I believe that what we do and how unique we are is different. We're different than a lot of other radio shows because I think we show a little bit more passion. We're not fake. And we're, just because we're here in New York doesn't mean that we're not uh, you know, we, we, we can't talk about all the other sports teams and all the other teams, you know, all over the country, which we're we very knowledgeable. We can still take shots of the Dodgers. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, I could tell you the whole Dodgers lineup. I, I could tell you the, the rotation for the Dodgers, even in the playoffs, when people try to, you know, test us and our knowledge of what we know. And we sit here and they think we're dopes because, you know, we're crazy. Well, I'm crazy. He's a more quiet, statistical person i'm more the crazy one and they try to play me like i don't know baseball and they put me in positions or there's a a lot of these guys they tell me well if you were in this position what would you do and and i i would say that well the two things i would do i i'd be a pretty good manager too i mean but i'm I'm obviously not as smart as you and and a guy that has educated himself in in this sport for what over 20 years so uh it's pretty fantastic on, on on your career and what you have done. And, and like I said, I really appreciate you joining us again. Um, it's just amazing. It, it really is. When we talk to all these baseball coaches and even some of them that went through the MLB before they became coaches and managers, uh, the thing is, is what we've learned about them is it, it's all about family. They, a lot of these guys, after they were done with their careers, uh, they had to go to their family and talk to their family before they, they, they put their, their time and effort into another part of uh, you know a part of their life into something like this because baseball takes a lot of time even in college I mean you go through a whole season then you got to go into the recruiting and all that other stuff and every year it's the same thing and stress and all that other stuff and your family takes it just as much as you take it because 
what? You go home. You're taking your work home with you, you know. And when you well, traveling- my wife, where I either screwed up or not during the game, so <laughs> I didn't bring it. So she was a college basketball coach really? actually as well, and played college basketball. So she knows a little bit about sports, and you know, I'll come home and and she'll she'll let me know why did so and so not get in the game or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, smarter so than you is that what you're saying? Uh, well, she thinks so, but I'll say, <laughs> and here I'll say, yeah, she is. Oh, but, she's probably listening to you right now. No, she's uh, she went upstairs. <laughs> you guys should, you guys should just uh, obviously the NCAA would never allow this, but you guys should just do a whole sports swap. Maybe you coach a basketball game, your wife will do a tennis game, and your son does a baseball game. <laughs> that, yeah, well, my, now my son wouldn't probably uh, he he can stick to the tennis part, but <laughs> I, I, I I joke because um, you know when I go on the radio down, I joke about it that. You know, I, I follow sports. It's religion for me. I yeah. mean, that's um, the only thing I don't know anything about is NASCAR. You know, really? I don't. I know they go around. You know, in a, a, a whatever, whichever direction. You're a hockey go. fan? Oh God, I'm, the Blackhawks are on right now, so I'm missing. Look the at this. <laughs> so, I I grew up. I grew up um, Flyers fan because they. Now we have a ton of. We recruit a ton in Philadelphia and upper, you know, up in the Northeast. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so we have a bunch of Eagles and, and Flyers and mm-hmm. Phillies fans. And, you know, I grew up a Washington Redskins fan right here. And right. They, they go, Coach, they, they're not very good. I said, Yeah, but back in my day, they were winning Super Bowls with John Riggins and Joe Theismann and Joe Gibbs. And mm-hmm. so I go over that. But, um, you know, I lived in Raleigh after I went to NC State for 15 years and then became a Hurricanes fan when they moved, the Hartford Whalers moved down there. And then when I went, I was, my first college coaching job for seven years was Valparaiso, right below Lake no, Michigan. Exactly, yeah. So I was, I was an hour from Chicago. So I went to Blackhawks games like crazy. And they're on TV every night. So, you know, they won three Stanley Cups while I was up there. So yeah. they were um, good. Huge. That was they're rebuilding. Now they're rebuilding. So we're, we're going to be another tough year, I think, right now. But we'll see. There's, they need to, you know, clean up what they did all those years, you know, behind the scenes. Because no, I, I agree. The garbage agree. That, that was going on behind the scenes is just absolutely yeah. horrible. And we were talking about it. Uh, actually, it was a couple months ago we brought that up again. I like Chicago. I, I, Patrick Kane is a good friend of mine. I grew up as a hockey player with him. And uh, all the trials and tribulations he's been through, uh, you know, in Buffalo and what he was dealing with. Um, I tried to get him on the show plenty of times, and he was just afraid to come on the show because he didn't want to deal with the the abuse that he'd probably get from the past. Now, he, if he does get traded to the Rangers, I, I mean, that's the story right now. The Rangers are the lead team to get him. I'll probably get him on the show because uh, he'll he'll be here in New York. But uh, he'll be he'll be loved there. Oh, forget it. I hope he goes to the Islanders. I'm an Islander fan, so. Yeah, I I'm want just, I'm, I'm waiting because him and Taves, eventually they're going to probably get traded. I mean, oh, hundred percent. They can help. They can help another team, and that team right now is so young. So I'll, gl- I'll gladly take Jonathan Taves on the Rangers if you could. Your team could pay half of it because <laughs> mm. the Rangers definitely need some face-off guys. hundred percent, hundred percent. But anyways, Tracy, we really enjoyed. Uh, we really enjoyed. Uh, the interview with you, and we would love to get you on again. We had when was the last time we had Tracy on? It was it was the summer during the pandemic. That's right. It was July it was or a August long time ago. Year. Yep. I have to send you a picture. You look just like this okay. guy. I'm going to send it to you. You're going to be like, "Holy crap! He does. He does kind of look like me." You know, but you look good, man. I'll, you look good. I'll check it out. Everybody's got a doppelganger. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody says they have a twin out there. You know, that's what it. 
His name's Tom Sconzo, okay? He's a, he's a friend of mine, and he's a bare knuckle. Oh, is that that guy you sang that birthday yes, song yes, about? Oh, it was God. Him. It was him. <laughs> Say happy birthday. All right. So, Tracy, at least, at least if you see the picture, just don't listen to the song. <laughs> okay. It was pretty embarrassing. I thought it was funny. You know, everybody else did. But anyways, uh, Tracy, we really enjoyed the interview, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Speedy will reach out to you. Fantastic interview. Thank you. All right. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Enjoy your Thank Chicago you Chicago Blackhawks game, okay? Let's go Hawks. Let's go, go Hawks. There you go. Tracy Woodson, a big sports fan and a Chicago Blackhawks fan. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? Nah, it I, he would have been even cooler if he was actually an Islander fan. I would have liked that. Yeah, I'm sure nice. you would have. That would be nice, you know? An Islander fan all the way over there. I mean, he's in Richmond over there. <laughs> Anyways, uh, great interview. Fantastic. Absolutely. I will say the Blackhawks do have the best. Uh, th- that goal celebration, that song they play after that is, is very cool. I do like that one. I forget the name of it. I hate the Rangers. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you do. Uh, yeah, I, I won't sure have to hear it do. tomorrow. I won't have to hear it tomorrow at the UBS arena. Okay, That's I, fine. You can just hear silence across the, uh, the Coliseum. That's right. Or the uh, UBS arena. No, they, they go, hey, hey, yes, yes. Yes. Well, that's implying that the Islanders will actually score goals. That's true. Uh, they haven't scored a lot of goals. But uh, we'll see. I, I, I have faith in the Islanders. I do. I, I, it's early. I mean, I, I, I know everybody looks at the Islanders' record that two and – what is it? Two and three or two and four, I think they are. Two and three, I think, yeah. They're two and four. Two and four. Huh? They're two and four right now. They played six games. Um, and uh, right now the Rangers are you know playing tonight. And if they lose against Colorado, they're three and three. So – I mean, they have seven points. The Islanders still have a chance. I mean, uh, the the team in the number one seed right now in the Metropolitan is is Pittsburgh. They have nine points. I mean, Pittsburgh could go on a losing streak. They're six games in. I, I don't think Pittsburgh's this good. No, I, I, I don't. I, I mean, the Islanders need to stay within the pack. Uh, these teams will start going on losing streaks. And the, when the Islanders get hot, they'll get hot. I, I'm not worried about it. It's early. You're talking about six games into the season. Islander fans are like, what's going on with this team? Sorokin stinks. It's six games into the season. Relax. I just don't understand that, but that's just me. Uh, well, that's classic New York fans. I just love to overreact. Probably the same. They could beat the Rangers tomorrow, okay? And the Rangers lose tonight. They could be the Rangers could be three and four, just like the Islanders. Yeah, <laughs> the Rangers play Colorado tonight. And they they're could be three and four. <laughs> they could be three and four, just like the Islanders by tomorrow. Yep. I mean, it, just relax. It, it it is what it is right now. The Rangers, the Rangers started a little slow last year. They got hot in the, after the second half of the season, in the middle of the season more. <laughs> they I mean, weren't great in the beginning. The Islanders have the what was it the, the third best goals against average in the division. I mean, yeah. they're not scoring goals. They're not scoring goals, and that's a huge problem, which we knew was going to happen. We knew they were going to have problems scoring goals. Why? Because they didn't add any offensive weapons. Philadelphia only has 17 goals, and by the way, they're the third best seed right now in that division. <laughs> yes, Tortorella likes to play defense. It's all about defense. But Philadelphia is not going to be able to play that way throughout the season in this division. No. There's might, no way. They might have the most expensive <laughs> offense in the And their goaltending is not going to be as good as it is right now. Yeah. And hot, I think Hart's a good goaltender. I do. Yeah, we're waiting for the bounce back for a while, but it hasn't happened in a large enough sample to really I trust. think if there's anybody that can help Tortorella uh, uh, help – Cart, uh, you know, get back to what he was in, in, in his first year as a rookie. It's Tortorella. 
I, I think Tortorella can help out in that category because I think Tortorella is a great defensive mind. Mm-hmm. And he helps all the goaltenders that he's ever – everywhere he's gone. With the Blue Jackets, goaltending was yep. great. Everywhere he's gone, uh, Tampa Bay, when they won the Stanley Cup, great goaltending. Everywhere he goes, the goaltending, Henrik Lundqvist, he had one, two of his best seasons yep. under Tortorella. So he, fixed the, he fixes the goaltending. He always does. So I expect Hart to be one of the best goalies in the league this year. Because of Tortorella. The thing is, he's definitely going to need to do that with the Flyers, especially because the Rangers, that Rangers team had a lot more talent, and the Tampa Bay teams had a lot more talent. Now, the Flyers have talent. They have a lot of a lot of good offensive depth. They're very expensive, a lot of bad contracts, but some good offensive depth with Kevin Hayes. They got Cam Atkinson last year from the Blue Jackets, who had a nice year. He's hurt right now, but they definitely have the depth. Now, the question is, can they get the defense going? Because that defense is mostly young mm. all at once, and that'll be the big key for Tortorella's system to really work. We saw it in Columbus with a defense that had some good pieces. Zach Warrensky, one of the best in the league, and then Seth Jones they traded for recently, but or they, they traded for from Nashville, but still, it wasn't overly deep. It was still kind of a rebuilding team, and he was able to make that work for a couple playoff appearances, and obviously the big upset of Tampa Bay this when they swept him in 2019. I'm going to say this for this whole Aaron Judge thing, this $500 million that his agent's looking for. <laughs> I don't know what he's smoking or he's drinking, whatever he's doing. Keep on doing it. Because nobody is giving Aaron Judge at the age of 31 in the beginning of next season three, $300 million, okay? If San Francisco gives him $300 million, they're overpaying for him, okay? It, it, he's not getting anywhere close to the 400 range. And if he does, good luck, okay? I, if he gets $400 million, whoever gives it to him is an idiot. Because you're going to pay him $50 million a year. He has maybe five more years left. Five more. Five more good years left. Three more dominant years where he is the top three, top four player in the league. And I'm a Yankee fan. Do I want Aaron Judge to come back for the right price? I would take Aaron Judge back. For $300 million, I think it's too much. I think it's too much. You're not winning with just Aaron Judge. I know you listen to Tracy Woodson and say that why would they get rid of their best star? Because if you lose your best star, you can add two or three guys for the price of Aaron Judge. And by the way, they didn't win this year. Right. And they're going if they bring in Aaron Judge, they're gonna lose Bader. They're probably gonna lose Ben Attendee. Tyone too is a free. Tyone, Saverino. They're gonna lose everybody. What are they gonna do? They're gonna they're gonna win with a a worse team than they had. This year, not yeah. a chance. You're going to have to hope a lot of prospects come up all at once and make an impact. They saw a couple Volpe of them. Volpe will. Yeah, Volpe will, I think. Dominguez will be up sometime next year, too. Yeah, Dominguez is a little younger, so he's probably going to be later in the season if yeah. he does come up. But I think he will. I think he will, too. And, again, you're going to have to have them be a more of a focal point in the team. And the ones that did come up this year, Peraza and Cabrera, are going to have to make impacts early in the season for that kind of thing to happen because they're not going to be able to keep all these other guys. You mentioned they'll probably buy out Josh Donaldson. That kind of thing makes sense. So that means you have another spot vacated over there. You still got DJ LeMahieu if you could stay healthy, but you still have a lot of other question marks on the left side of that infield. Glaber Torres at second is all right, but again, he's also injury prone too. And if the Yankees do invest into that kind of thing, it would be one, very old school Yankees, and two, it would be different, very unique to the way Brian Cashman has operated so far. I don't think it's happening. I, I think it's not feasible for the Yankees to probably bring back Aaron Judge. 
Yeah, and you wonder, too, how good this bidding war is going to be for a guy that just had this kind of insane season that was a near-triple-crown home-run-setting season because it's the best bet-on-yourself season we've ever seen in any sport by a pretty big march. Yeah. And how is that going to alter what has been the norms of the market of not paying older hitters, not paying a lot of right-handed hitters that we've seen a lot of these guys have, plus a guy that's also been injury-prone in the past, too. It's going to be interesting to see what initial offer is going to be between these higher market teams in order to create a bidding war. Because you know the Giants will pay, but they don't have the rich ownership like the Yankees and the Red Sox. And oh, I think, like I think he's going to the Giants. I think he is, too. I, what, at what point will it end up stopping? Because those teams would also run up the payroll where they could pay those guys, too. I think his average market will be about in the 310, 315 range. But I think the Red Sox, you know, they like to spend a lot. And the Yankees, we heard what Randy Levine said. He, they're not going to try to back down, especially from the Red Sox, if that's the case. So how high will the Giants end up going? In that. I think they'll peak too. I think the Yankees have a number that makes sense for them. Uh, having a season like this, I think the Yankees will go 280, 290. I don't think they go 300. I think 280, 290. That would make Aaron Judge, they'll give him a seven year deal where he's making 46, 47 million, which he'd be the highest paid player in the major leagues, mm-hmm. which is more than feasible. Yeah. If he wants $500 million, what does he think he's getting paid? 70, 80 million a year? Right. Or it's, it's going to be a lot of years, which doesn't seem realistic either for a guy that's already 31 years old and is already, besides the last two years, has dealt with a lot of injury issues as it is. So you're not going to get $500 million from an eight year contract. They would have to be from like a 12 year contract for that kind of thing to happen. We were talking about it with Juan Soto at the trade deadline. Juan Soto turned down a 13 year deal that was less that was right on the early $400 million, and he's younger and durable and is a lefty. Aaron Judge, yeah, he had a better season than Juan Soto, but there's a lot of things not in his favor. What could happen, and I'm I'm just giving the Yankee fans a little information here, what could happen is they lose Aaron Judge, they lose all those players, and they go into the season not expected. This could be a down year for the Yankees, and I'll tell you why. Because they're next year, after this year, there's a lot of people off the board. There's a lot of bigger names Big, bopping names like a Juan Soto that will be available. And I don't believe the Padres are going to be able to resign him this offseason. I think he goes to free agency. And I believe there'll be a bidding war for Juan Soto in two years. Now, the Yankees could get rid of all these contracts. Keep whoever. John Carlos Stanton's still there. They still have names. They'll keep Rizzo there. He's under, I think he has another year left. Another year on his contract. Uh, they have Josh Donaldson. You bring him back. It doesn't matter. You, you bring him back. He's just another name. And you bring up your young players. The Dominguez. Uh, you bring Dominguez, Volpe. You have Pereza. You have all these other young guys. You bring up your young players and see what this – you bring back Trevino. You give Trevino a year or two years, whatever. He's not making a lot of money. He's not going to get a lot of money. And you have Hicks still. He's still on that roster. You, have, you still have a decent, you know, decent team. Okay, you don't overpay for anybody this offseason. You lose Savarino, you lose Dione, you bring up some of these young pitchers. Maybe you put Schmidt in this rotation, and you see what you have. This could be an off year. It could. The Yankees could bear. They could be a borderline playoff team this year. Maybe they make it as a wild card team. Who cares? And then the year after, they'll have a lot of money that'll be on the board where they can. A pay Juan Soto, or maybe two other players. Maybe they bring, they can, they could decide. You know what? We want Juan Soto and Otani. You know, they could do that. You know, but it's going to take a year 
to give them that year to see what these young players are. Now, the other thing that has to be noted in that kind of thinking is how much will Aaron Judge's whatever contract he ends up getting, whether it's from the Yankees or not. In your scenario, it's not from the Yankees. No. What kind of con- what kind of implications will that have on all those guys' money too? Because Otani, obviously younger, two way player, Juan Soto, durable, really young player still, and it's going to be demanding a lot of years. Will that price be even heftier for for the Yankees to be able to take on for that kind of thing? So Not really, it- because after next year, John Carlos Stanton has how many years left on his contract? Two. It would be two or three. Three, I believe. Three years. I mean, no, not at all. No, not, I'm not talking about from the perspective of individually. The contracts will start falling together yeah, for the Yankees. Individually for the Yankees, yes. I'm talking about more from the overall market value because you know other teams are going to be still bidding for that kind of thing. And I'm sure – I'm not sure the exact contract situations of all these other teams that are high paid. Is, it, is it that bad for a Yankee fan to sit there for one year where they're only going to win it shouldn't 88 be. games? It shouldn't be. Uh, the Yankees – I mean, they're a borderline wildcard team. Maybe they don't make it for one year. Right. One year. Year they don't make, they'll still have a winning season with the players they have coming back next year and maybe you had you know a player that's not going to cost that much you lose Savarino you lose Tyone you you bring back Nestor Cortez he's not going to be expensive you bring him back you resign right. him you know there's uh, you bring the non expensive guys back and then you add all these young players that you have in your farm system see what these farm Volpe could be a star he could turn out I believe he is a star he becomes your your future shortstop Pereza could be your your second baseman, and then you, you decide what you're doing with Gleyber Torres. I trade Gleyber Torres in the offseason. I would move him. He's He had a good season. I mean, he, uh, 235, 240. He's still hitting the playoffs. He did. He hit in the playoffs. Mm. He still hit over 300 in the playoffs. He, he's the only pro- one of the only proven guys that hit in the playoffs for average. So maybe you move Gleyber Torres. You know, you, you, you move some of these pieces, and you rebuild. That's... If I was a Yankee fan, well, I am a Yankee fan, but if I, was a, uh, if, if I wasn't a radio show host and I was just a fan sitting here, logically, that would be the smart way of going. One bad year or one mediocre year to a year after that where you can have the, the best lineup in baseball. Yeah, play, I mean, play the transition year and just hope the young players can have bigger roles is the incentive of that way of thinking. And then, depending on what the market value ends up being, the Yankees will definitely have they, space. They'll for be able to bring. They could bring the year after. They'll be able. They'll be able to bring in Soto and Otani. Right. If they really want them. I mean, the money that they're going to have off the board, they they'll pay. They're going to. They're taking off this offseason. If Tyone doesn't get signed, Savarino doesn't get signed, um, Bader doesn't get signed. Who else? Um, Judge doesn't get signed. You're talking about close to eighty or ninety million dollars. That's a lot of money. You, you, you could give Otani forty million. You can give Soto fifty. Mm-hmm. And you know? again, you're looking at a case too. And you get a pitcher and a hitter and a and a hitter. Yeah, I think you're looking at a case too where there's something in the means of. The Yankees have a lot of leverage when it comes to these young players, too, where they can even make some small-scale trades to be able to – like the kind of like the Mets did with their pitching this offseason. You, you look at a case of they get guys for one-year contract rental-type things, and all of a sudden you have a case of 
they still have a winning team, and you could create a good culture there too to be able to make that kind of thing work for these other free agents to come into. Because what's the biggest thing we think about Trout all the time is mm. Trout is got a guy that's just stuck in a bad situation and has been on such bad players. I can't say healthy either. Yeah, and same thing I say with Shohei Otani. Those guys are going to want to be able to win somewhere. So if they if they're able to win somewhere, then all of a sudden you the Yankees could become a lot more desirable. We talked about it with Tracy Woodson too. Mm-hmm. The Yankees don't have that same kind of leverage as they used to, where it seemed like everybody wanted to go there. Now, it's not necessarily because of money they lose out on bidding wars, but it's also with the team culture type thing that all of a sudden they lose out on these bidding wars, and it's a big deal when these guys don't go to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. When you look at the offseason this year, if you're a Yankee fan out there, and there's a ton of them, okay, don't sit there and say, uh, I want to match what Steve, Uncle Stevie's doing for the New York Mets. Because Uncle Stevie is going to open his pockets this offseason. He's going to spend. He is going to open up his pockets. He doesn't know. He doesn't care if he's over the cap. He doesn't care. He is going to go out there and get the best players available. He will. Rendon, if he wants Rendon, he'll sign Jacob DeGrom and bring Rendon in. Yep. Mm-hmm. He'll do both. Right. He'll do it because he has the money and he wants to win now. Okay? The Yankees are a different team right now. Now, the Yankees have the money. But the Yankees could sit back and say, you know what, Savarino, he's not a good playoff pitcher. Let's move on from him. Uh, Tyone didn't pitch well in the playoffs. Let's move on from him. Um, Nestor, he's the, he, was, he had a great season. Let's sign him. He's going to cost us $16, 17000000 million a year. That's it. I mean, we could bring Nestor back for two or three years, give him a four-year deal, which is worth it. He's still fairly young. We have him in our rotation. We have Garrett Cole in our rotation. So we have our one-two guys. Okay? Then you, you – you put it. You, you put it together. Yeah, Schmidt could be a third guy, you know, or right. whoever, whoever, whoever's still on that road. Herman, Herman's still there. Herman will be a third guy. Um, Frankie Montez is still under his rookie contract. Bring Frankie Montez. Frankie Montez will be your third guy. So you you have three guys that are under contract, not very expensive, and then you have Herman as your fourth. Yep. And then you have Schmidt as your fifth, and then you just add to the bullpen one year guys on the bullpen, which is cheap. You know, you go with the guy. Oh, two million. Three million, two million, three million. Fill in your bullpen and just go into the season where you're eighty million dollars under the cap. Right, and I, it was the same thing I was saying with the Mets uh, on the weekend crunch. A lot of people were thinking, okay, the Mets they could bring in Justin Verlander or something like that when Verlander becomes a yeah. free agent, and they probably will. They could. I, it's still not something if they I don't would, get Radon. Yeah, it's still not something I would want to advocate Why? for because you have three Cy Young guys yeah, on, on one team. I, the way they manage the older pitchers this year is not something I don't want to have to do again when it comes to listen. That if Justin Verlander pitches twenty two games and has you has you uh, fifteen wins. I would take that as my third guy in a heartbeat. The guy's going to win the Cy Young again. No, no, no. I'm not, de- I'm not denying that. You I put think- him with, uh, with, with uh, DeGrom. You bring DeGrom back. Well, and well, you think they'll be able to get both? Sure. Oh, 100%. Okay. Verlander's not expensive. I, I, I think Verlander would be. He got $20 yeah. million dollars from the Astros last year. $20 million. Okay. And that's what the Mets are going to give him. He'll, he'll get $20 million for one year. 22, okay? And then they have Scherzer, who's making 40. And then they have to pay DeGrom, 40-something. Do I think they would do that? A hundred percent I think they would do that. Because then they have the best one, two, three punch in the major leagues. It's not even close. Yeah. It's not even close. No, that, that's fair. I just don't know if they would want to manage another older They'll win 112 again. games. They will. Year. It's a question of a matter of managing the whole season because, of, again, staying healthy. Because the Mets... 
I was mentioning all the talent that they have, but again, they still have a lot of deficiencies that they were not able to solve because of that too. And I feel like still they're not considered that next big tier of teams because they haven't been able to build up key areas, lineup depth, bullpen, and I'll tell stuff you this. like that. I will tell you this 100%. If Brian Cashman gets let, gets let go in the offseason by the Yankees and he decides to part ways with the Yankees, I'm telling you, within 24 hours you're going to hear that the Mets signed him. I'm telling you right now. He will become the president of the New York Mets. I'm telling you. Yeah, no, that I believe because I think a hundred percent. Because I think Steve Cohen will do everything they can to bring 100%. in some bigger baseball minds. And Brian Cashman is exactly the kind of guy the Mets would need. Guys that could find those kinds of gems. Him and Epler are best yeah. friends. Uh-huh. It Absolutely. would fit perfectly. He, he, Brian Cashman is the president, and Epler as the GM. And I, I could see it if if the Yankees even think to part in ways with him. I think the Yankees are very stupid, very stupid in as far as the organization is concerned. Because to find somebody, and now I'm hearing somebody said that if he does leave, they're going to bring in one of his disciples, a, a guy that's under him, which M- makes sense. Why would they do that? Honestly, if you're going to get rid of arguably the best GM in baseball. Then you might as well start over and bring somebody else in that knows the game fresh. a little bit. Everything yes, fresh. Okay. knows the game a little gotcha. bit different. Bring, yeah. bring in an Astros guy, bring in one of those guys. Oh, that'd be something. Yeah. I, I'm just saying, bring yeah. in bring in a guy that knows the game a little bit differently, who does it the the new way. Right. You know. So because next year it's going to be a different game because there's no more shifting. Yeah. There will be no more shifting anymore. The game is going to be. First of all, you're going to see more hits next year. Hundred percent. You're going to see more hits. More power, more everything next year. Why? Because you can't shift. Right. And I think that's what I'm saying with the Mets more is they, while they do have the money, they do have the ability to spend now. They haven't been able to get to that, I guess you could say, well-oiled machine for baseball conversation. When you look at teams like the Dodgers, you look at teams like the Braves, the Astros. The Braves and the Astros are probably the two biggest examples of that just because of the way they manage their contracts. But I also think the Mets... Yeah, they're good at accumulating talent. I don't know if any of their contracts are necessarily, like, god-awful. James McCann's bad because he hasn't hit. And some of the relievers, yeah. But, like, Canna, Marte, all those guys are not uh, – they're not, like, considered overpayments type things. So it's one of those things where they have to be able to make that next step in order to find those other gems. They didn't do it at the trade deadline so far. And so far they haven't done it finding depth. Well, I think the Mets have a lot of money. And – when you have an owner that's willing to spend, he will spend. It, it, it will happen. But I don't and, think the issue really is money. I think it's more of getting those other guys. Because you, you, as Tracy was saying, like baseball, you, you have all these guys that you may have stars and then who else is there type thing. And that's what the Mets have still been lacking when it comes to a consistency basis. Now, they have names. Obviously, Pete Alonzo, mm-hmm. Starling Marte. They, mm-hmm. they have names in that lineup and definitely on that pitching staff. But who are those other guys to help complement those types of guys? And you're looking at the Phillies and the Astros. The Phillies have a deep lineup. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the pitching and bullpen depth is not great. And, again, they were kind of the anomaly to that. But when you look at the way their starting pitching works, if they can get the rest of that going, those kinds of things could happen. And that's why they're shifting to that kind of mold, too. And I think the Mets have to start doing that as well. And same thing with the Astros. The Astros, they didn't pay anybody significantly big. They extended Bregman, and they paid Altuve of Mm -hmm. that core. That's it. They got rid of Garen Cole, Carlos Correa, George Springer, all these guys gone. And they still just have an operating machine. They need to find that kind of thing, the Mets to make to level themselves out with, the, I would say, the Astros and the Braves are the two teams to aim on. The Dodgers from a high payroll level and the Rays from a lower payroll level. I think it'll be very interesting to see what a lot of these teams are going to do in the offseason. Again, if I'm the Yankees, uh, I, bring Brian, I bring back Brian Cashman. I, I think he's a very important piece moving forward. 
bring back Aaron Boone, okay? He had a good season. I, I know he didn't look good in the playoffs. They they need somebody that's going to transition this team. Even if it's not Aaron Boone, he's not the answer. Next year, you can move on from Aaron Boone. Then he'll have one more year left on his contract. You let him go after next year. Even if, if they make the playoffs, you bring him back, obviously, because the team will be worse, and they won't have the the payroll that they had this past year. Because you lose Aaron Judge, Savarino, Tayon, all these guys. You're talking about about $80 million off the board, $90 right. million. Mm-hmm. So that by itself says that the Yankees are going to wait until the year after where there's the free agency market is going to be big. You're talking about some of the big names that are going to be out there. Like I said, Otani will be available. Um, obviously, um, Soto will be available. These guys will be available. Now, will they go to the Yankees? I don't know. If they pay him, they might. Soto will. I don't know about Otani because he's had a problem playing in New York, but money talks. And if the Yankees give him what he wants, he'll come here and play for the Yankees. So it'll be very interesting to see what the Yankees do this offseason. And Brian Cashman, uh, well, Hal Steinbrenner has a lot of work to do because he has to make a decision on where he's going, where the organization is going. They had a very good season. They were embarrassed by the Houston Astros. They were absolutely embarrassed in the ALCS by a team that I believe everybody says they were that much better. They weren't that much better. They weren't. The Astros beat the Yankees in, what was it, two out of the three games by one. Mm -hmm. By one. And the other two games by two. I mean, they didn't beat the Yankees. They didn't completely tear them apart. Right. They weren't hitting like the Yankees, too. They were hitting okay. They weren't hitting that much. It really was the Yankees swinging at the bad pitches and men in scoring position, with the, which they had problems in the second half of the season in the month of August. They couldn't score. This is, and I, Maybe DJ LeMayo not being in the lineup hurt them. Really that bad? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I think it hurt them for the playoffs because DJ LeMahieu does provide a little more of the contact hitting where the Yankees really lack that kind of thing. Also, Ben Intendi's injuries, too, I think really hurt that kind of thing. Where like, He wasn't Trace, hitting for them anyways. I, I understand that, but I think, I think it's more of a t- not a talent perspective as much as it is an approach perspective when it comes to the structure of a way the way the team is. And that's why I was talking about with the Mets, too. You could have all the stars you want. You, you just still don't have a playoff identity. I think the Padres had a better playoff identity the way they were structured. And the Astros have a very good, well-oiled machine where they have a good system that works with the analytics department, and they have a good mixture of everything. You're right. On paper, I don't think they're as they're, – they might not be as talented as the Yankees overall. Like the Yankees, when healthy, might be more talented, more star-driven. Mm. But – the way they're structured, I think the Astros have a little bit of a mixture of everything, whereas the Yankees were conceptually flawed in some areas, and so were the Mets. The Mets' bullpen was atrocious besides Diaz. The Yankees' the Yankees bullpen was eeky in the second half of the season when King went down. So I think you're looking at a case where there's definitely some issues of what they can't do, and it's not just talent alone. And We always say in football and baseball and these sports that require a lot more concepts, talent doesn't just win. The Buffalo Bills are the most talented team in football. Are they guaranteed to win the Super Bowl? No. The, we, we said at the beginning of the year, the Ravens had the best defense or one of the best secondaries. They're awful this year. When we come back, uh, we will get into some more football here on the Sports Lamouts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This 
is the Sports Loudmouth. Check out our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Very interesting story when we were on break. Uh, Denver Broncos and wide receiver Jerry Judy could be moved before the trade deadline. And the three teams that is destined to possibly land him is one, the Packers, which we've been talking about, two, the Indianapolis Colts, and number three, Speedy's New York Giants, which is very interesting. Here's the thing. Jerry Judy, I thought was going to be a superstar when he came into this league. I did. I, I thought Jerry Judy from Alabama, what he did on those national teams, those national championship teams, was fantastic. To me, he was the best route runner going into the draft. We, we were arguing about that. That draft with the, the wide receivers, C.D. Lamb and Jefferson, that was one of the best you know drafts when it came to wide receivers we've seen in a very long time. Might be the best uh, going into that offseason. But Jerry Judy really hasn't reached his, his potential. He hasn't been the, the player we thought he was going to be, maybe because of the quarterbacks that they had over there with Denver. But they have Russell Wilson there, and Russell Wilson really hasn't figured him out yet. Sutton's been the number one guy over there. So to me, is Jerry Judy that good? What would you give up for Jerry Judy? He was a first-round talent. He fell in that draft, if you remember. He fell just like CeeDee Lamb did. CeeDee Lamb fell further than him. I think CeeDee Lamb went 17. I think he went 13. Or, no, he went 15. Or something like that. Both guys were expected to be top 10 talents. CeeDee Lamb has become a top 10 wide receiver in the league. Jerry Judy is not. Jerry Judy would be lucky if he's the top 17, top 18 wide receiver in the NFL. And, and for a guy that was expected to be a star talent, he's not that good. Now... Will the Giants be willing to give up a second-round draft pick for a Jerry Judy? That's what you're going to have to give up to get him. The Packers, second round, same thing with the Colts. I don't know what the Broncos are looking for. Maybe the Broncos are looking for a first-round talent. They have no future. <laughs> they gave it away for Russell Wilson. So maybe they, they get a second and a fourth for him. I don't know. If teams are desperate, they will. Are the Giants really desperate? I don't think so. For Jerry Judy, I wouldn't give up a second-round draft pick for Jerry Judy. I really wouldn't. I know he's young, but I don't know what he is. There's nothing that really stands out to me that Jerry Judy is a number one. He's not. He's a number two. He's an Elijah Moore. That's what I think he is. I think Elijah Moore is more talented. And I know, you know, I was talking to Josh today, and Josh was telling me that he would trade Elijah Moore for Jerry Judy, and I'd say, you're out of your mind. I think Elijah Moore has more upside than Jerry Judy does. Elijah Moore last year, before he got hurt, he had closer. He was the best wide receiver for the Jets last year, and he missed like three, four games. Now he's not seeing the ball enough. He wants out, so let him go. I don't think Douglas or Salah is going to trade him. But if he believes that he's going to get traded, well, good luck to him. I mean, right now, 
when you look at the league and, and, and some of these prima donna wide receivers, I'm surprised Jerry Judy hasn't spoken out and, and demanded to be traded because of that team and how he doesn't see the ball as much as Sutton does. And he's a better he, – he was at one point a better talent. Sutton was what, a second or third round draft pick? Second round pick, yep. Judy was supposed to be the number one. Sutton was supposed to be the two. It's the opposite. Maybe because Russell Wilson likes to throw to the big guys. But he had Tyler Lockett over there with Seattle. And Seattle at one point was had Tyler Lockett, who I thought was better than DK Metcalf. There is no excuses. But I'll tell you this. I, I think the team, why would the Colts do this too? But the Colts are done. I know they're 3-3 three and three and everybody thinks they are done. There is nothing that stands out to me. As as far as an organization is concerned, the way they are, and Jim Irsay. If I was Jim Irsay right now, I would try to demand to lose. I would lose with the quarterbacks that are coming out of this year's draft. You could take your pick if you're a top five, top seven draftee. I don't know. I don't know where the Colts are going, but Col- the Colts have always been lucky with quarterbacks. They always do. They lost Peyton Manning. They get Andrew Luck. Then they lose Andrew Luck. And now, remember, Johnny Unitas, they, every, like, every 10 years they have a quarterback that actually could play, that are elite. Johnny Unitas, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. Who's next? They got uh, Stroud. Is that, is that what they get? CJ Stroud. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Hey, maybe he falls to them. Uh, Bryce, Bryce Young. Will Levis, yeah. Will like, Levis. Yeah. I'll get one of these guys and they become stars. They'll become a star because that's what they do. They find quarterbacks. Yeah, and you could tell when they don't have quarterbacks what they end up horrible. being. They're horrible. They have, like, no identity when they have no quarterbacks either. And um, you look at a case now where they tried Matt Ryan again, and um, a lot of people have said, oh, they've just tried to aid themselves with just, like, veteran guys with a talented team around them. Well, maybe it was more coaching than that because you look at the defense, too. They're not the same without Everflus, and they're definitely not the same without all that offensive line playing as well as it has either. No. It was two years ago people were saying it was the best offensive line in football. 100%. It's fallen off where it's not even top 10 anymore. It's probably average at this point, and it's just not the same. Taylor's been all right when he's been healthy, but he's been hurt, too, and definitely not the same as last year. It's just a weird identity for a Colts organization that uh, – that def- that is always quarterback-driven and has been for a long time, even when they were bad. Like, they still had good quarterback years. Look at Andrew Luck's first two years yeah. of his career. That team was horrible. Yep. And they still, uh, they made the playoffs as a wild card the first year. They they made it as a division winner, a uh, fourth seed the second year. They had that insane comeback against the Chiefs. So it just shows you the big differences when it comes to that. Mm. And I think when you look at both teams, and and I'm talking about Indianapolis and the Packers, I think the Packers are the ones that have a chance still to make the playoffs. So I think it's the, it's the Packers to lose. If they want Jerry Judy, I, I think they can get him. I'm I, I just wondering what they're willing to give up for him. And is Jerry Judy the answer? Yeah. And, again, I, I don't know if they're really in. They, like, he's not that number one guy, that nonstop guy that you can you could give up a second and th- or a third round draft pick for and say, oh, my God, this guy's going to be the breakout guy that we've been looking for. I don't know if he is that. Yeah, and also, again, like we were saying before with the Packers, are they the obvious contenders where that kind of thing is going to be suitable for a team like the Colts either? Because, yeah, they might make the playoffs. They might win a crappy division, but that doesn't mean it's, uh, that doesn't mean it's likely for them to be able to go far even with Jerry Judy too. Yeah, they doesn't have to be a number one there. Pittman's a number one, but he could be a number two there, fine. 
but that still doesn't take away from the situation the Colts are in. They've mm-hmm. really just d- diminished themselves with uh, not bad contracts necessarily, but losing a lot of players and then losing some coaches too. And they might lose another one at the end of the year with Frank Reich, the way this team is going right now because it's, it's abysmal. It, Frank Reich is probably going to become an offensive coordinator somewhere. Uh, New York Jets, please reach out to him. He's going to be back on either Andy Reid, Stafford, uh, Doug Peterson in Jacksonville. That would be the way to stick it to the Colts. Let's go to the Jaguars. Why didn't he, did he just go to Buffalo? He has Josh Allen over there. That's fair. I, again, I, it's, I'm, just, I'm just judging based on the connections that they have there. Too. He'll have a maybe job. If he goes, Everflus, if, he goes, if he goes Andy Reid or he goes to, uh, you know, he goes to Buffalo, he has an opportunity to get a coaching job the year after because you know your offense is going to be elite if you have, uh, obviously, Mahomes or you have Josh Allen. Right. So I would go to a team where I'm going to have an opportunity to play with a top-end quarterback and, and make that team a top-elite offense again where I have another chance to become a head coach in the NFL again. That's what I would do. Uh, Frank Wright is a good coach. I, I believe he is. I just think he lost the team. I think he lost the team, really, um, when Philip Rivers retired. Right. And Philip Rivers even didn't have a great year over there either. He was efficient, but he, he didn't have the same arm strength or anything like that. No, but I think, he, I think they were still playing well. And I think after Philip Rivers retired, I think it was over for him. I, I just don't. I think they were trying to glue things together, and it just didn't work. And now I think they should lose the rest of their games and, and go after the top quarterback. Go get the best quarterback in this year's class. Next year, you have a good team. That, that, that defense is elite. That offensive line still very good. They have one of the best running backs in the NFL. And they're wide. they have Pittman, who's one of, the better, one of the better young wide receivers in the league. So you get yourself an elite young quarterback, you're right back there with that division, which is the worst division of, uh, in <laughs> the AFC. Far, but it's the worst in football by a pretty good margin right I mean, now. you have Houston, you have the Jaguars, and you have Tennessee. I mean, the only team you have to worry about is Tennessee. And are you worried about them? You have Tannehill. Yeah, ten, Tennessee's a good team. Nobody's calling them an elite team. They're pretty balanced, fine, but they're not, they're not a Super Bowl contender. <laughs> you get a quarterback, you're, you're a contender again. There might be, they might be like a, if you're talking about the power rankings earlier, you might, they might be thinking of Tennessee as like maybe a ninth best if team. If I was, if I was, good. If, if Frank Wright gets retired, uh, gets retired, if he gets fired this offseason, if I was a guy that was up for grabs for that position, I would take it. That is a good team. You get yourself a quarterback and you're a top 10, you know, draftee and you, you can get one of those young, there are five or six really good quarterbacks in this, this draft class. Six of them. They're all probably going in the top ten. I, I would predict that none of them fall out of the top ten. There are too many teams that need quarterbacks. Right. Teams that are going to trade up if they're not available to get them. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be other quarterbacks that will gain their stock, too, by the end of the year as well when you have a case of we – I about mean, you have the Ohio State guy, Stroud. Mm-hmm. You have Young. You have the kid from Nebraska um, – I'm sorry, um, Kentucky. Will Levis, yep. That's three. Mm-hmm. Who are the other two guys? And I think, I, I think you're looking at – Tennessee's quarterback hooker that I definitely right. is making to make a leap. Caleb Williams is another one from USC. Right. I'm not sure if he's going to be draft eligible this Florida, year. Florida isn't Florida's quarterback? Nah, not this year. Not this year. Um, the other one, the other one that was kind of on the cusp was was at the time Fres- uh, Fresno State's Jake Hayner was another one that was a first round talent that a lot of people liked too. 
and then there's going to be some other small school guys. But those are the main guys when you look at that. And Hooker, if Tennessee makes the college football playoff, could definitely elevate his status to where they could think of him as a leader. He's got good mobility. Now, his arm talent isn't the same, but it's definitely interesting where— You don't need great arm talent. Yeah, with if you have league. the right coaching, they can make that kind of thing work and fix it. I think he still has the abilities to make that kind of thing work. I wasn't high on him last year. Remember, Jeff and I were, we were talking about this for a while during the draft season. Like we Both of us said that Hennon Hooker is that one guy that might be the bust of that draft class. I don't know if I think that way anymore. He looks like he's developing into something. Where is Jeff been? You know, where is he hiding? Oh, he was – what was he complaining about? Oh, he was he, – he tagged me in a tweet about Elijah Moore, naturally, when Elijah Moore first had the uh, – the, What was he complaining about? He was, he was like uh, – no, he wasn't complaining. He was like, ha, 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 Jets, uh, Jets dysfunction, just when they're getting good or something like that. Yeah, I, Jets dysfunction. Let's do our Week 7 recap. You want to do that? Let's yeah, do that. that's good. Let's go for our Week 7 recap because when Ovi comes on, we're not going to have time for that. That's right. So what we'll do is uh, what we, we do every single year uh, – every single year – every single <laughs> week – and as we do, yeah, that's true too. Uh, we'll go through our recap, recap of the week. Speedy, you ready? Yep. Let's go. All right. Uh, the New York Giants holding on to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 23-17. to A lot of bad calls. Now, a lot of Giants fans are saying it was all, a lot against them. I actually don't think that way. I think there were a lot of bad spot fouls, uh, spot given to the Jaguars, too, that the Giants got a lot of beneficiaries on. But one of the more uglier games that the Giants, they were trying to commit every penalty imaginable to get Jacksonville back in the game. It was a, lot, a series of a lot of out routes, a lot of yards after the catch both ways, but Giants just able to hang on. And Saquon Barkley, he's getting it going in the fourth quarter, even in the games where he's not the best overall. So that's good to see. They're gritty again. Daniel Jones, five fourth quarter comebacks, leads the NFL. It's crazy. Daniel Jones just played fantastic in the second half of the season. Uh, second half of the 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 games, but uh, even what he's done in the first half of the season, he's been dominant. He he runs the ball very very well, and with even the lack of weapons that he has, he he finds a way to win the game. He really does, and that's what you want from a quarterback. You don't need to throw three hundred and four hundred yards. I've been saying that to Jet fans. If Zach Wilson throws two hundred yards a game and one touchdown, and they win, I don't give a crap. He doesn't need to throw three, four hundred yards to be an elite quarterback in the league. He just needs to be efficient. If he's efficient, he'll win. And that's what Daniel Jones is. He's efficient. All those Giant fans that thought he wasn't efficient, he wasn't going to be any good, well, you're absolutely wrong. This guy is the future quarterback of this team. They believe. And I believe if there's anybody that can fix him is Dable. And listen, Jacksonville was the better team on the field throughout the game. But the Giants found a way in the fourth quarter to win, and they've been doing that all season. So uh, the Giants pull off the win, and they're 6-1. and one. All right, you're right about this one. The Dallas Cowboys absolutely blowing out the Detroit Lions 24-6. to six. They're uh, done. Have, uh, the Lions are done. You have some uh, fighting words with, uh, with Paolo there, who thought this would be a close game. Mm. <laughs> but uh, not the case. Yeah, the Dallas defense uh, showing what they can do. And the Lions offense, which was the best in the league for the first four weeks, all of a sudden has disappeared. What's going on with their defense? I mean, Hutchinson has been a shell of himself since game the first two games. Well, that's what happens when you play the commander's offensive line. He had three sacks in that game. Hasn't had a sack since then until this week. He had one, but still not getting a lot of pressures either. He hasn't looked good. He really hasn't. And that defense hasn't looked good. They have no secondary. It's completely gone. And, and look, the Cowboys are not a good offensive team. Let's be honest. They're not. They run the ball. That Zeke, I, I, I listened to the beef. Oh, did you watch Zeke this, this week? He played against the Lions defense, okay? Zeke Elliott will be gone next year. He will not be back. Dak, I think he's a big part of what this offense is going to be this year. I think Dak makes this team a little bit better offensively. 
But they have one weapon in the out in the open field, and that's C.D. Lamb. Besides that, there's nothing that scares me on this team, and they're going to have problems against the Eagles. They're going to have problems even against the Giants. Why? Because both teams can play defense. So if they can't score, they're going to have problems. So that's my thought about the Cowboy game. All right, the Bengals blowing up the Falcons, thirty-five to seventeen. Looked like a pretty ugly first half for a while, or for the Bengals. Or looked like a dominant first half, and it was going to be an ugly third quarter for a while. Looked like the Falcons were going to come back, but Joe Burrow is one of his best career games. 481 yards, three touchdowns in that game. I wish he was on my fantasy team. Yeah, this was his first like big, big week that we've seen in a while for Burrow. It really has been more of a deep defensive-led Bengals effort this year. Uh, no thanks to Mr. Zach Taylor and that offensive line. Definitely not doing well either. Joe Mixon's still having some trouble, though. So they, if the Bengals are going to get back to that Super Bowl form, they're going to need to get him going. They're not going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know yeah, why anybody the, believes they are. I mean, again, the, we talked about it earlier. Like, the Bills and the Chiefs are those they're top a playoff two teams. Team. Yeah, they're a playoff team, yeah. the Bengals. It's just, if anyone's going to be that sleeper, maybe they are they going to be that third team. They have a chance to be that if they can find some level of a running game. But They'll right now, lose just in the first round. They'll lose in the wild card Very game. possible, yeah. They, they, I just, I don't think they're any good. Uh, I watched them against the Jets, okay? And they beat the Jets. They did. They beat One of the, the Jets' losses this year was against the Bengals. I don't think the Bengals should have won that game. I thought the Jets were the better team. The Jets are starting to figure things out because after that game and the whole Quentin Williams thing on the sidelines with the defensive, co- the defensive coach, the defensive line coach, I think that game changed everything. If they played the Jets again, I think the Jets beat them. I, I, I don't think they're, they're not offensively sound this year. I think Jamar Chase, teams are figuring it out. He likes to throw the ball, Jamar, and then obviously his other two weapons in Boyd and um, Higgins. Higgins. Higgins is that second option, but teams are figuring this out. They're figuring out this offense, and if they can't run the ball and they know they're just one-dimensional type, of, they're a one-dimensional type of team. That's how you shut down that team. So they can't run the ball, and if Joe Mixon can't figure out how to run the ball, they're done. They're not going to come out of the wild card series, the wild card game, no matter who they play against. So that's my problem with the Bengals so far of what I've seen so far in seven weeks. All right, uh, we were talking about the Colts earlier. They got ugly game against the Titans, 19 to 10. Tennessee wins, and yeah, that's just about as ugly as it gets. Matt Ryan now benched for Sam Ellinger, sixth round pick. That's just a that's rock for the bottom. season, by the way. Rock bottom for the Colts at this point. And they're only three and three. It's not like they have a they're in ba- bad shape right now. They're three and three, and they're giving up on Matt Ryan. That tells you one thing. They did, and why did they get rid of Carson Wentz? Beyond me. I mean, Carson Wentz is not having a breakout year, but he's winning for the Washington Commanders. What is Matt Ryan doing? Absolutely nothing. Uh, the Commanders, speaking of them, they beat the Packers 23-21. to And by the way, Matt Ryan, and the three wins that they have are against crappy teams, okay? They didn't beat anybody good. Uh, speaking of the Commanders, they win again 23-21. Taylor Heineke played for Carson Wentz in this game. Not a great game, 201 yards. But Terry McLaurin was very impressive in that game. He made a lot of really tight sideline catches, had a touchdown that he just extended, had a big third down catch right at the end of that game right on the sideline as well. And Washington was able to run in this game a two-headed monster with Robinson. Brian Robinson, shout out to him. He was shot in a, well, this car right near his car at the start of the season, had to be hospitalized, now playing in football games. That's a great story for him. And Antonio Gibson, 10 carries, 59 yards as well. And the big thing, the Packers could not run the ball. Washington's defense finally stepping up like they should. One of the weakest divisions in football we thought this year is one of the strongest divisions in football. Who would have thought? I mean, you have the Washington Commanders 3-4, and four, the Giants 6-1, and one, the Cowboys 5-2. and two. 
the Eagles 6-0. I mean, that's the best division in football right now. Each and every one of those teams could make the playoffs. Seven teams make the playoffs this year. All three of those teams, besides the Eagles, could be wildcard teams. That's how bad the NFC is right now. It is crazy. Listen, I think Carson Wentz is a good quarterback. I don't like how Ron Rivera took shots at him a couple of weeks ago. I, When you look at his numbers and what he has done so far this year, he is still amongst the league's top 10, top 12 quarterbacks in the NFL. For anybody to take shots at this guy, he found a way to win against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. It's not the same Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, but it's still the Green Bay Packers. So, Carson Wentz, go. All right. The Ravens finally do not blow a fourth quarter lead. They beat the Browns. They barely hang on 23 to 20. They, I don't know what's wrong with that team. Yeah, the, 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 Raven, the Ravens are still kind of an unknown, too. They, they have the defense to be able to do it on paper, but I think they still desperately need an edge rusher. They really do not have much. They tried to bring in old man Jason Pierre-Paul. They tried to bring in old man Justin Houston, and it's just not working. They need a, a guy that's a little more explosive. He was playing well against point. the Jets. He played fine. He played fine <laughs> against the Jets. Okay. But again, yeah, like two and a half sacks in that game. But still, again, it's just not. But that's not the same Jets. Yeah. They put that, that they've become in the last couple. It's of weeks. also not the same Justin Houston that you saw in his prime, and then Jason Pierre-Paul, who's had some good spurts with the Buccaneers too, but still not the same. But they're des- I think they definitely need an edge rusher. Offensively, they got their running game going again. Gus Edwards a nice game, sixty-six yards and two touchdowns, and injury replacement for J.K. Dobbins and Lamar. Not a big passing game, but good running as well. That defense isn't any good. It's just not. That's it. I. I, I I don't know what's going on with Baltimore. I don't know who they are as an organization. John Harbaugh might be looking for a new job at the end of the season. I just, I don't know what's going on. Everybody thought that this was the best team in the in in the AFC North, and a lot of people thought this was a top three team in the whole league with their defense and what they added in the offseason. They added a star uh, star corner. They added some safety help. They added some linebacker help. I don't know what's going on with the Baltimore Ravens, and Lamar Jackson is a shell of himself. This is a guy that's betting on himself going into the season, and right now he's betting wrong. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do in the offseason. The Ravens could just say, you know what, I'm, we're parting ways with you. Yeah, looks that way. The way he hasn't played the same since that week four domination that they had. Uh, he played well in that game against the Bills, and then that fourth quarter, really, since then, it, the whole season's gone downhill for Lamar since then. All right, we talked about the Jets earlier, so the Raiders, uh, they finally win a game. They should. They beat the Texans 38-20. to 20. Josh Jacobs going off. Away. Yeah, Josh Jacobs going off 143 yards and three touchdowns in this game. That's good to see for a guy that's been kind of inconsistent. Who'll be a free year. agent after this year. Yeah, who also, again, they still haven't ruled out trading either, and maybe this is the game that it's, it's, say is a selling point, so maybe this is your running back, Buffalo, if you want to try to go for a running back. Could you imagine him on Buffalo? Yeah. That wouldn't be fair. Uh-huh. That wouldn't be fair. And we'll They're see. gonna have to give up a lot. No, I know the, a the, first round draft. The way the way Jacobs has played this year, he, a first round he might garner a first round pick. Now his injuries and his inconsistencies throughout the years. I, is it likely? Maybe not. But again, he's the third leading rusher in the NFL right now on a bad offensive line for the Raiders. They haven't been as bad well, as they were last year, but still, it's gonna be tough to trust. But if they make the trade, he he gets signed from them in the offseason. They'll sign Jacobs. They'll find a way to sign him. They're not gonna let him go. Why would they? Make a trade and give up a first-round draft pick and not sign him next year. He will be a Buffalo Bill next year if they sign him. I just don't know if they're going to trade him because Vegas still has a chance to make the playoffs. I mean, the it's not out out of a sort where they can't make the playoffs. They're two and four. If they go on a winning streak, they can win two games, two three games in a row, and they could be right there in it. The AFC is still very open. If they win nine games, they can make the playoffs. So don't count out the Raiders. 
All right, the Seattle Seahawks, they take over first place in the NFC West by blowing out the L.A. Chargers 37-23. And the Kenneth Walker show continues in Seattle. Mm -hmm. 168 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, your fantasy team definitely striving. No, they're not because he's the only player. Yeah, I was going to say, just, now he's just going to get the rest of your players going. I need going to get a quarterback a, going. Yeah, you need uh, somebody other than uh, Aaron Rodgers. I have, and, uh, I have Matthew Stafford. And Aaron Rodgers, and you would think with those two guys, one of those guys would have a be would have a decent season because both of them. Well, Aaron Rodgers don't have weapons, but it's Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford going into the season had Allen Robinson and a Cooper Cup. I mean, and then maybe Odell Beckham as the season progressively moved. Odell's not going to that team. I, if I was Odell Beckham, I go to a team that you know is making the playoffs. The Giants makes a lot of sense. It makes all, they need a wide receiver. Why go out and trade for Jerry Judy when you can get Odell Beckham for free? Yeah. That would make no sense. And Odell, that would benefit Odell, too, because the team doesn't have to give away any pieces. Yep. But maybe a quarterback, I don't know if he's available in our league, but maybe you could go after Geno Smith. Yes. 210 yards, two touchdowns in this game without DK Metcalf, who left the game with a knee injury. Uh, it seems he's going to be... make a lot of money in the offseason. Yeah, Geno Smith's definitely striving. How about this Marquise Goodwin? I haven't heard that name in a while. Two touchdowns in this game, too. So. Good for him. He's making, making good use out of the uh, receivers that haven't done much in years. He was always fast. Yeah, he was always fast, but he always dropped the ball. Like, he he was played like... for, last time I remember, 49ers, right? 49ers. He played for the Bills for a little bit and one Wasn't other team. Was he a team. Jet? Was he a Jet? He might have been like a short stint with the Jets. I don't remember, but... If it, if it was, it might have been for like a part of the season, but definitely Buffalo and, and San Francisco was the last place I remember. And they gave him a big contract, too, in San Francisco. I couldn't believe it at the time, and he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah, I remember. I had him on my fantasy team. I, yeah, I think I, rem I think I remember you saying that. Yeah. I was like, why did you draft him? He's like always hurt, and he drops a bunch of passes. And, I got yeah. him in the late rounds. But yeah, but, which makes sense. But, yeah, they, they got he him He had going. some decent years. He, he, had a couple, he had a couple good years in Buffalo, but that was really it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, Seahawks win that one. Uh, Chiefs. Blowing out the 49ers, 44-23. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe either. that, and I'll tell you why. Because in, in the beginning of the game, it was 14 nothing, or 10 nothing. 10 nothing. yep. It was 10 nothing. San Francisco was dominating the game. It looked like Kansas City had a, their head up their asses. And then all of a sudden, in the second quarter, it was the Mahomes show. Mahomes this, Mahomes that. And then Hardman was all over the place. And, and San Francisco, which is a very good defensive team, secondary's questionable in certain yeah, – I mean, they have some good young secondary help, but their safety play this year has been horrendous. And what did they do? They put Harmon in the backfield, and they pretty much said, you know, they threw him in a slot. They threw him on the outside, and he was catching the ball. He was running all over the San Francisco 49ers. And that was the Hardman coming out party. And again, this is one of the things that we've seen with the Niners. Sometimes if they don't get anything of a pass rush, their defense really has not been the same. And it really looks, it has looked really bad in certain instances too. And sometimes we, we, we talk about it with the Jets all the time, a team that doesn't like to blitz a lot. So when they don't blitz and they don't get that kind of pressure, uh, they're not going to be the same type of defense. And as a result, they had to blitz more of their linebackers that usually cover. So their Chiefs offensive line really just dominated the line of scrimmage. And the Niners just couldn't adjust after that in that second and third quarter when the Chiefs are going off. Mm. All right, last of the 4 o'clock game. Or no, that was it for the 4 o'clock games. The Sunday night game, the Miami Dolphins 16, the Steelers 10. It looks like the Dolphins boring. Old, it looks like the Dolphins of old on the first drive, boring. and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened after that. The I know what happened. It was a boring game. 
Well, yeah, but the Dolphins looked like they were trying to get too cute at times with a, a secondary in the Steelers that is not very good. I think they're coming down from what they were. Well, of course they're coming down. Nobody expected them to last from what the 3-0 start that they had when they beat the Bills. But, again, it looked like the, they I were, think teams are figuring out who they are. I think that they were fluent on that first drive, and all of a sudden they, I, I think, outdid themselves. I think the coaching has been kind of questionable in that second half of that game and, and on the defensive side of the ball, too, where they almost blew that fourth quarter lead. They were allowing a lot of yards downfield to Kenny Pickett, who's not a big-arm quarterback. All these ca- all these deep catches, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, that aren't these big deep threats who make deep catches. And the Dolphins, yeah, they're kind of an in-between team, and it seems like they're the, of those eight teams we mentioned that might make the playoffs, they're probably that last team now because the Jets have surpassed them, and I think the Chargers are still ahead of them by a little bit. Mm. I, I agree with you. I thought it was a very boring game. Tua was back. Uh, he was the really the interesting part of that whole game. There was nothing else that I just wanted to see if Tua was 100% healthy. Uh, he looked like he was scared in some aspects of the game, especially when Pittsburgh got behind the line of scrimmage. He, he was trying to run the ball. He was trying to protect himself. So um, that's what I'm going to be watching this year is Tua. Uh, I don't know how good this Miami team is. I, I really don't. I, I don't know what they are defensively and offensively. We know what the offensive line is. We knew that this offensive line was going to come down to life. So uh, they're starting. teams are starting to figure out this team. And the Monday night matchup, the Chicago Bears beat the Bailey Zappies and Mac Jones. What a joke. Quarterback controversy. How the heck did the Chicago Bears beat the Patriots in New England? I mean, what a joke. Yeah, they have been pesky in certain instances, but this is one of those just very weird wins for them. I mean, Nikhil Harry looked like he was having a revenge game against the Patriots in the first half. It was actually the same brown. Like, all these other receivers. Bill Belichick's supposed to be the master of fi- figuring out a way to get these corners involved. Horrible. And they were getting outmatched by those receivers. It's one thing if the Bears ran all over the Patriots, but they didn't really do that. Herbert had flashes. David Montgomery had a touchdown, but it, like, it wasn't a running game. It was those guys and Justin Fields, as you mentioned earlier, he was extending plays very nicely in that game, too. But Yeah, he used his legs a lot. He didn't throw the ball much. He didn't throw much. 13 for 21, 179 <laughs> yards. He did throw an interception. He's got to stay away from that. But I think Justin Fields is figuring things out. I I, I, I think he's going to be a good quarterback in this league. I, I do. When they give him some weapons, I think they'll be fun. And, and, and by the way, for a team that really wasn't supposed to have a good year, a lot of people thought was going to have the number one pick, they're three and four. Yeah, they're pesky. They've been a pretty good team, and even a lot of their losses, too, have not been. Eberflus. Yeah, they've not been bad losses. They almost came back, beat Minnesota, and they hung, they hung, obviously, they beat the 49ers. They played them close in that game. They hung tough with the Giants. They, they are playing some quality football. Really, the only bad game they've had so far was against the Packers when they got blown out on Sunday night. Every other game has been either a close game or a pesky win. And again, the Patriots in Foxborough. Granted, it's not the same whole field advantage it was, but it's definitely a big deal for a uh, a team that isn't very talented on paper and a rookie coach. And for the Bears, it looks like there's a lot of things they can look at going into this game and say that it was good. Now, they still have flaws on their roster with their run defense. Ramondre Stevenson went off for the Patriots, but the rest of the defense looked pretty good. Their pass rush has been better, too. So some signs going up for the Bears, but again, they're just pesky. They're not great right now. Kind of like we were seeing with the Falcons, too. The Patriots stink. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and if the Jets can't win on Sunday against this Patriot team, then they should shoot themselves. I'm just kidding. But uh, no, don't pull off a plexiglass burst. This, this is a year where the Jets could very much sweep this series. They are that much better than the New England Patriots. They're, 
I don't care who they lost. Elijah Vera Tucker, Brees Hall. They added James Robinson. They are much better than the New England Patriots. Defensively, offensively, even special teams. So I expect on Sunday to put up a big number just like Chicago. I, I want to see the Jets put up 20 and, and keep the Patriots down onto 10. Just like they did against the Green Bay Packers. They are The Green Bay Packers are better than New England. That tells you right now what New England is as an organization and a team now. It, and just like Tom Brady. Look at what Tom Brady's doing right now with the Buccaneers. I think they're going to be rebuilding too. And I think Todd Bowles is going to be fired at the end of the season. I, I just think it's, it's a lot of these teams that a lot of people thought were supposed to be good have just fallen apart this year, early in the season. And they're, they're, with all these teams that are winning, they're pulling away. And if, if like like for the Jets or some of the other teams like Tennessee, if they start winning and they win, they put up three or four winning streak, they could pull away from this. You know, the the, the groups that are right behind them that was supposed to be good. So that's what I see. And the, and the Rangers just scored, by the way. About time. Okay. I don't know who scored, but uh, yeah, the Rangers score the goal. Tied uh, Goodrow, Barkley Goodrow. Yep, Barkley Goodrow, fourth liner at his first goal of the season. Mm. At least they're scoring. Yeah, at least they're scoring. Now the question is, can they actually play defense is another question. But so far, the one goal against Colorado is actually pretty good. No, it's, it's so weird. They, they're, they're not playing defense, but their goal, to, I mean, what's his name again? Shesterkin. Shesterkin is 3-0-1. He has won all, all of the games that he's been in. And his goals against average is 2.79, which is not bad for, for a goalie that, uh, you know, with, with the Rangers, how many goals against they have? Yeah, and and if Sturkin's playing tonight, is he playing tomorrow against the Islanders? Yeah, that's that's gonna be tough to tell because uh, now it's not the same travel. But again, you don't usually see uh, Gallant I don't play Gallant play a lot of the back to backs. Now again, being that they're home for this game and then they go to UBS Arena, it's not the same level of travel because they already did the they already did it where they, he didn't play in Winnipeg after they played at Minnesota back to back. He didn't play that game, but when you look at it. It's not the same amount of travel, so it's still a possibility. I agree with you. He probably won't, but it's probably a best chance. If you, if you want to test him for a back-to-back early in the season, this is the best chance to do it, not having to travel a lot. Yeah, the Rangers have 20 goals allowed right now, 20 goals scored, a completely even goal differential right now, which is the second worst in the division. They'll right be now. fine. Yeah, They'll be fine. I, I like, like the Islanders, I know a lot of people, a lot of Islander fans are upset, and Sorokin right now is 1-3 in, in his first four his, he's played four games out of the six, and everybody's like, oh, maybe they're giving him too many games. It's not. The Islanders aren't playing well. And it, you could see it. You could see the numbers and the way the numbers are. But it will change. They can go into the UBS arena tomorrow, shut out the Rangers, and you know they could be right back on track. It, right. It's it's crazy, but that's hockey. You you just don't know. And then they win two games or three games. Their schedule is hard. I mean, right now... If you look at the Islanders' schedule, they have the Rangers, then they have the Hurricanes, then they have the Avalanche, and then they have the Blackhawks, and then the Blues, and then Detroit, and then the Calgary Flames. You're, you're talking about – and then they play the Rangers again in November 8th. So the Rangers are a quality team. The Hurricanes are a quality team. The Avalanche is a quality team. The Blackhawks are playing well right now. They're a quality team. The Blues are a quality team. Detroit's playing well right now. They're a quality team. Calgary, quality team. I mean, right now, the games don't get easy until the end of the month. 
I mean, it, it's not even easy. Right. Chicago's the only easy game, but it's in Chicago. That's still going to be a tough Chicago's home crowd. Chicago's 3-1. Yeah, they still have some good offensive talent. That's still going to be a tough home crowd. That's not going to be guaranteed easy either. I mean, they have the Coyotes after the Rangers, then the Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets are playing well right now. Yep. I mean, the Senators are a pretty good team. The Predators are a pretty good team. Stars, Maple Leafs, I mean, Oilers. It doesn't get any easier for them. No, they're they're going to have to find a way to win these games. Well, yeah, that's what happens when you're in this brutal division as it is, and now all of a sudden you got these overperforming teams. The Devils playing well at the start of the year. Well, they'll 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 come to earth. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they always do. This is what the Devils do all the time. Same kind of thing with Buffalo. Like they always have that hot first month, and all of a sudden they just. I mean, die I, I want to. I, I know as an Islander fan, I want to see the Islanders lose, and I'll tell you why. Because this year's draft, I mean, if they win the lottery, you're talking about a guy that. Some people compare to Connor McDavid. I forget his name, but yeah, Bedard. Bedard, who everybody keeps saying is like a sure thing. Could you imagine you put him with Barzell? Forget it. I mean, the Islanders have been looking for a goal scorer since Tavares. You know, if they could get a guy like Bedard over there with the Islanders, forget it. That's how I want them to lose this year, but I don't want them to lose because I don't want to hear him. I don't want to hear it from the Ranger fans how bad the Islanders are. So, and by Ranger fans, you mean Forever Blue shirts writers too? Yeah, I, don't, I want to see that because I think the Islanders are much better than they're playing. Okay. Well, yeah, we knew that. We knew the Islanders' like peak talent is there. It's just a matter of again coaching identity, which I think we've seen some good things with the the offensive system in comparison to what Trotz had when it comes to Lambert. Definitely a lot more spacing on the ice. I more. mean, right now, if the season were to end, the Islanders are. Th- one, two, three, four. Fourth worst team in the NHL. Mm. They'd have a chance, you know, to win the lottery. <laughs> they wouldn't win it because it's the Islanders' oh. luck. Yeah, you, you think Arizona's winning the number one I pick. Do. I remember that. You said I do. That. <laughs> I think Arizona wants to win the number one pick. I mean, because that'll draw Matthews to come and play with them. I mean, just yeah. think about if it. If they can actually get a stadium, that's a whole other well, story. Well, Matthews has two years left, a year left on his contract yeah. this year. Yeah, and, but again, they just have a lot of other issues. And so he's still very Will young. it be enough to lure, the, lure it back home? It's a great homecoming story. Yeah. You want to save hockey at Arizona. Is it realistic is another question. Mikey C. believes it. Yeah. He, he believes that they're going to get Bedard. He believes it. The NHL is going to set it up that way. Because Phoenix, you know, they, they don't want to move Phoenix. They don't want right. to leave. Yeah, Gary Bettman wants to save Phoenix at all costs. Yes. Even so though it's unrealistic. you bring in Bedard over there, that's going to bring in fans. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Your last-ditch effort to save Phoenix and not move it to an actually good hockey city, you better hope that that kind of thing works. Because, yeah, you might have an in- instance where the Coyotes get a guy like Connor Bedard, or the Coyotes might look like the Edmonton Oilers of all yeah. these years and ruin Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and only win a combined three playoff series so far in the eight years he's been in the league. Until this year, they only won a first-round series, and they barely won that series, too. So all of a sudden, you look like that when it comes to the dysfunction. Well, there's a lot of dysfunction uh, all over the place with the NHL. I mean, Gary Bettman runs the organization, so enough said on that. But... Uh, yeah, the Rangers aren't playing good hockey right now. Or the Islanders. I, but I expect this to change. I think the Rangers are on the top of the Metropolitan Division before no time. I don't think Pittsburgh's as good as they're playing right now. I don't. They're old. Uh, their goaltending is playing out of the mind right now in Jari. I don't believe that this is going to be like this. Philadelphia, they're a young team. I do believe they're a playoff-bound team. I said they were my surprise team this year. I told that to your uh, little buddy over there. <laughs> Um, I, he he thought it was they were 
they were the up-and-coming team two years ago. I thought he was out of his mind. I do believe they're an up-and-coming team with, with a good coach and some of the young players they have. Well, that, yeah, that, Washington's the team that I think is going to take steps back. Too. Yep, they're the one I had out of the playoffs at the start of the year. I, I do. Think. Even though they have eight points, I think one way or another, as a season, they're, they're old. They're going to get injuries. They're going to have injuries. and I don't trust that they're uh, amongst the, the Eastern Conference beasts. I, right. I don't. I think they're going to fall out. I, 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 the Rangers will pick up slack. I think the Islanders, I think Columbus will pick up slack. I think Columbus is a lot better than they're playing, too. Oh, so. absolutely. They were, they were one of the overperformers last year, and they had – they were, I think, a couple points ahead of the Islanders for the season, and, yeah. and then they they bring in Johnny Goudreau now, and again another year with that goaltending, another year with a lot of those young defensive players. I remember, too. Patrick Laney's out for a little bit. Yeah, and, that's gonna hurt for. Yeah, but when he comes term. back, and, and you're going to add another big, prolific offensive player, uh, it, I, I think the Blue Jackets are good, and they have good goaltending, and they they're, they're very well coached. They're going to make the playoffs. I, I I think this is a good year for the Blue Jackets to make the playoffs. I'm surprised that Calgary is is you know playing the way they. They're always a team that's like they're not good every every year. Like back yeah, to but back they years. lost a lot of pieces. I know that, and we we were saying before in the off season they I th- we thought they won that trade with the Tuchuk trade. Yes, and got good players out of that. But again, they, I guess they haven't meshed yet with the system. We'll see if that ends up happening down the road. But they're, they're tra- four and one. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, okay. they're the second best team. I, I think they're, they're the second-best team in the division, in the Pacific division. Yeah. And, and even though Vegas is playing good hockey, I think Calgary's the best team in that division. Talent-wise, they're a lot better than Vegas because Vegas yeah. is not the I think they're pur- the best team in that division. They had to purge a lot of contracts. Who would have thought Seattle would be 2-3 and three right now? Yeah, they were. Pe- they I think got they, nothing. I think they just beat Colorado. Too. They, they, they've been pesky this they year. They have so nothing. Far. They have uh, Sh- Shane Wright's Lord and Savior to save the day. It's the face of the Seattle Kraken. <laughs> Well, that, the young kid that they drafted. Yeah, is, Shane Wright. Yep. Shane Wright. Yep. Is he playing good? Uh, I'm not sure on his exact stats, but he is on the roster. But, again, he's been, a, at least when it comes from a speed and spacing perspective, he's really been a force. I couldn't believe he fell as far as oh, he did. Uh, yeah, everyone was saying that, too. Like, I, I actually, I'm not faulting Montreal because I think their kid already scored. Uh, he has an assist and a point this year, a plus two rating in total. Yeah, he's played all five games. And, again, he's, he's a very fast, 18 years old. He'll be good. And... Yeah, I don't know if he'll be elite, but he'll be good. I, I think a lot of people were saying that kind of thing, too. Like, he's right on the cusp. He might be one of those, like, second-tier, third-tier stars. But for this draft, it seemed like he was definitely going to be the number one. But Montreal thought otherwise and uh, ended up going with a kid. Uh, Eberle has four points already. <laughs> of course he does. He leaves the Islanders, and he's, he's an all-star. Yep. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it just It's annoying. It gets me. It gets me heated. You know, it, it really does. Oh, see, there are other teams that, uh, unless you're the Buffalo Sabers, that can rebirth Islanders players, except for the Sabers, where they're just a retirement home for everybody. No, I, I don't know what's going on with the Islanders right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a defensive identity that's having some good offensive games right now, but getting blown up by the Devils definitely doesn't help. In the no, and I, I listen. I, I don't think the Devils are going to do that again. I mean, the Islanders did not play well and. Sorokin gave up two really bad goals in that game. Mm-hmm. He did. Yep. So I, I, I expect this to be different. I expect it's, this team to figure things out. Um, all the Islander fans are very frustrated. I mean, as well as you should be. I mean, but it's early. I mean, their best players. I mean, Andrews Lee has four goals already. He has seven points. He's elite, um, amongst the league's best right now. Um, 
Brock Nelson has six points, no goals, which is surprising. Barzell has six points, no goals. Barzell needs to score. This is the problem. The, the Islanders need to get this guy moving. Noah Dobson looks like he's going to be a candidate for, uh, what is it, uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. He's going to be up there. I mean, he's played six games. He has two goals and three assists. I mean, this is a defenseman. He has five points already on this team. He's, he's third in points for the Islanders, and he's a defenseman. So uh, Oliver Wallstrom's played well, three goals. Uh, he had that hat trick in that game. Uh, there are guys that I think are going to be trade pieces. Bolivier, um, I think he's a guy that the Islanders should look in the in sometime in the middle of the season yeah, to will. move him. Um, they'll keep the guys like Martin and, and Mayfield's another guy that I would look to move. Right. Uh, in you know at the trade deadline, Clutterbuck, who he signed a one year or two year extension. I know they like him on that fourth line, but. You can add anybody with Sezikis and Martin. I I would trade Clutterbuck if you can get something for him. Kyle Palmieri, this is the guy that really has been bothering me. Yeah. He's played in six games. He has one assist. You gave him the money that you gave him. You gave him a four-year deal. He's doing nothing with the Islanders. This guy's a goal scorer, and he can't score. This is a problem. And maybe it's the lines that they're putting him on. I I don't know. But... uh, this is a huge problem for the Islanders. They're not scoring goals. Uh, Pajot, who I, I think is a better second-half player. Uh, he's As is Paul Mary. Yeah. I hope for that. Pajot is, has two assists. You expect more from these guys. You're paying them a lot of money. I mean, I think the Islanders gave him a $40, $50 million contract. Yeah, it was like five and a half a year. I mean, he's making – for the NHL, that's high in his standards. Mm-hmm. He should be playing better. Uh, I think these guys will figure it out, but I mean it's a new offense, it's a new way of they're playing, but they're not scoring, and this is a huge problem, and we, which we all believe there was going to be a problem for the Islanders. Right. Again, they have to find the team speed, the pace. Those are two things that you can't really find with a lot of these older goal scorers in today's league because it's one of those things where even the younger teams that have some veteran like third and fourth liners. They are mostly built on younger guys up front. When you look at Colorado, you look at the way the Hurricanes have built teams like that. That's the issue that the Islanders have. They don't have a lot of those veteran, those those younger guys in the top six as much. And outside of Barzal, who's spacing well, Wallstrom's doing well. Can't score either. But when it comes to the speed, when it comes to the pace, he's still essential for that kind of thing if they can get some other guys to be raw shooters. Because you're right, Matthew Barzell sometimes is reluctant to shoot for whatever reason, and that's a big big reason as well. He hasn't gotten the development in his game now he should. Now he got his contract. He got his contract, which was well-deserved at the time, $9.15 million, and he's going to have to earn it from a goal-scoring perspective in order to make that kind of thing work. And I think they need another guy to help him out that is faster. Does he have to have the numbers? No. I think he has to have the speed more and the, the ability to possess the puck more so Barzal doesn't have to do it all the time. And Paul Mary, I don't think, is that type of guy. Pajot, he's good for what he's good at. Face-offs, he's a big guy, could get tough, like gritty goals in front of the net, but not he's not that type of like pure center that's going to do a lot of great things offensively, too. And that's what the Islanders really need in a very offensive style of hockey that they're doing with. But I think Lane Lambert has really done a better job than we've seen Trotz's scheme, the offensive system just as a whole, 
get more spacing on the ice. And it's allowed to a couple of big goal-scoring games so far from the Islanders that just need to happen on a more consistent basis if they want to win this very – not win, but make the playoffs in this tough metropolitan division. Mm. Well, uh, we're still waiting for Ovi. Yeah. Still uh, waiting. Is, is he coming on? Yeah, he said he was running late from a dinner, and he will be in whenever he's ready. Mm. Um, he's, he was trying to – he was running late, and then he just has to set up his uh, his stuff. We would have had to do it from the car otherwise, so I told him he could just do it when he gets back. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, we're still waiting for Ovi uh, Moheli. Uh, hopefully, we have him on soon. Uh, we're running a little late. We, we, we were doing the show to 10 o'clock, so um, very soon, hopefully, we have Ovi on, and uh, we'll finish up with our interview. And then we'll scoot until Thursday. So, um, again, but uh, like I said, uh, the, uh, by the way, the Calgary Flames are up 2 to nothing. Uh, Chicago, I think, is up. They're going to be up 2 to nothing. Uh, right here, they're going to put the puck in the net. Boing. Oh, so this is the uh, – oh, no, wait. 3 nothing. No, this is not the ultimate revenge game. <laughs> I was thinking the Flames for a second. <laughs> the Panthers-Flames, the whole trade situation. No, and I, and I think – these games are just like all over the place. I mean, Phoenix four nothing. I mean, six to three. Phoenix wins. Uh, wins the game against the Blue Jackets. Mm-hmm. Phoenix. <laughs> yep. The uh, the tankathon. The Coyotes. hottest team in hockey right now. The Boston Bruins. Yep. They're the hottest team in hockey right now. Yep. Jeff's finally getting some uh, good hockey in the beginning. By the, of the way, year. didn't Jeff say that the 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 Boston Bruins were going to start off really slow this year because of all their injuries? Didn't he say that? Yep, he did. Yes, he did. Everything that he said, he's wrong. Everything. How about the kid that uh, the the uh, the linebacker from? Oh, Zayvon Collins. What happened yeah, to Zayvon Collins? He hasn't developed either. No. He hasn't developed. Everything that that man has said. Shout out to the great Jeff, who always is wrong. Well, it, it might be better than uh, his uh, his quarterback. They dropped it at fifteen overall. He don't, don't have to. He doesn't have to come on the show to make excuses. I'm giving it to you. I'm telling you right now, everything that you have said in the last past three years is wrong. Wrong. You want to take it? What are you trying to take a shot? You take a shot at the Yankees. You take a shot at the the any anybody of my team. The Jets. They lose Brees Hall, but hey, listen, the Jets are five and two. What is your Patriots? Oh, I'm sorry, they're uh, three and four. <laughs> three and three with a, with a three, three and four. four. Three and four with a quarterback uh, controversy. controversy between a uh, a first round pick that's a game manager and Bailey Zappi, who was a sixth round pick who had some nice flashes. Don't worry. I'll, I'll make sure that I send you a text after the uh, Jets beat the Patriots. On oh, Sunday. you're going. He's going full screenshots. He has mm-hmm. to make it happen, type thing. I'm going to put up a nice little six and two record for for Jeff to see that. No, no more the Patriots or the Beast of these because they're not that anymore, and they won't be that for a very long time because the Miami Dolphins are better than the Patriots, and they have more youth. The Jets have more youth, and they're going to be better than the Patriots. And yes, the Buffalo Bills, too, are better than the Patriots. So the Patriots will be sitting on the bottom of that division for the next three, four, five years like the Jets were, like the Buffalo Bills were, and like the Miami Dolphins were. That This is the time, this is the crummy time for the Patriot fans to sit there and deal with the Jet fans, <laughs> the, the Dolphin fans, and the Buffalo Bill fans. The... the, the, the uh... How long will it take before Bill Belichick has to retire because of this? I think within two years he'll be <laughs> two gone. Two years, yeah. yeah. And then um, 
They'll put somebody else in there that's oh, going to make the team. Patricia, round two. Yeah, probably. <laughs> they'll put somebody or a judge. They'll put somebody or maybe oh, his son. Or maybe his son ah, takes over. I like, I like his son. Steve, Steve's a good guy. Maybe, St- maybe Steve takes Steve. over. I don't know how long that's going to last either. So, I mean, Bill Belichick will still stay with the team. He'll give the, the reins over and he'll probably become the GM. Or Yeah, I'm thinking that too. Cause I, don't, I, I, I don't think he's like completely out of fo- football like mode completely. It's not, it doesn't seem like what's happening with Brady right now where he seems just distracted with everything. Belichick, I think, is still focused. I would, if I was Tom Brady, I'd be distracted too. No, I know that. I'm just saying, like, I don't, I don't think that he has those kinds of excuses. But I, don't, I didn't think Brady was going to have a breakout season anyways this year. It didn't matter who he had on that team. He's 45 years old. Eventually, father time hits you. It's hitting him. Mm-hmm. He's not the same player. I don't know why any... He had a fantastic year last year. and Everybody was like, oh, he should have won the MVP. He wasn't better than Aaron Rodgers, okay? Might have not, Aaron Rodgers might have not thrown as many yards or this or that. He had better completion percentage. He, you know, touchdowns to interception ratio was much better than Tom Brady's. I, I mean, Aaron Rodgers was better, and he played with worse. Right. You know, so I I understand that Brady had a good year. I think he's just done. He he looked like he lost a lot of weight going into the off season. He he, he looked like he came back. He had something done with his jaw. He he just unfortunately it, it, this season ruined his family life. Right. I feel bad for him. I do. I feel bad for Tom Brady because when you sit back and you you wonder, this guy was a big family man. He had his wife. He had his kids. He decided to come back out of nowhere. He, he got offered a $350 million contract, the highest paid uh, you know, analyst in NFL history. He was, he was breaking records. And now all of a sudden he's got to deal with uh, a divorce and, you know, and sharing his kids. That sucks. Right. It really does. But again, this is all, this they like, looked really happy. Yeah. I, I thought they were a really, really happy family. And then all of a sudden this happened. This pissed her off. Yeah. And again, you're looking at a case where Brady's had to overcome that kind of adversity too, and in addition to on the roster as well. Like Arians has to not coaching anymore. Now he has to deal with He didn't want the Arians great, there. The great Todd Bulls now taking One over. of the reasons why he came back was Arians wasn't going to be there. Okay. He didn't want Arians to coach him. I, I think that's a fact. If you look it up, it, they weren't getting along. So he didn't mind Todd. No, Bowles no, no. I, I agree with that. But I still Todd Bowles as an in-game coach. Have we really been impressed with him so far? No, no. because uh, yeah, okay. Their defense has been top five in the league. Fine. You want to say you want to give him credit for the defense because he's the defensive coach. He's the defensive coordinator, and then uh, you could give him credit for that. But you still have the game plan. You didn't game plan well against the Chiefs for your top five defense. They still allowed forty-one points, and you're looking at a case where. Offensively, Tom Brady's overcame a lot of other things in the past, but one thing he hasn't overcome yet is, I guess, a uh, a middle tier to below average coach. He's never had that in his career. He always had Belichick, and then he had Bruce Arians. So he transitioned to a legendary coach in Belichick to a, a very good coach in Arians, who is was one of the best ones in the league before he retired, and now all of a sudden with the family stuff too, he's leaving just to lose to PJ Walker and the Carolina Panthers. Mm. It'll be fun. Yes. Uh, OV almost OV back. is coming. He's, he's grabbing a, a shirt, and then he's going to be coming on the video very soon. Well, finally. <laughs> I'm a little tired. I'm a little worn out. But uh, yeah, I'm staying on for the interview. I'm just letting everybody know. I, am, I had a long day today, and uh, 
I have a long day tomorrow because I'm going to the Islander game, but I'm doing this strictly for our guest. Yep. Um, he's, he's staying in and uh, doing his thing, unlike, uh, unlike Ben Simmons, who keeps fouling out. Yeah. Well, yeah. even when he does play, he finds a way to get out of the game. So that's his manipulation. You could think of it that way. Last year, he didn't play any games for the Nets. Now, all of a sudden, he's trying to foul out to get out of games. Uh, so what is the next saga of Ben Simmons would, would be like? Which is nothing. I mean, <laughs> which Ben is, uh, Simmons, give me a break. No, the Knicks are 2-1. and one. Yeah, the Knicks are 2-1. and one. They, they beat Orlando yesterday, was it? Yeah, they They're, killed Orlando. I, I, yeah, I, I saw they were up big in the I know it's Orlando, quarter, but yeah. it's still, they still beat them. Yeah, they did. They're an NBA team. They, they still beat them. Yep. And right now, if the season were the end, the Knicks would be a six seed. And that's where I think the Knicks will be. I think they're closer to a six, seven seed. That's why I think the Knicks are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they're. I think they're not a playing team, but I think they're right there on the borderline. I'll mm-hmm. tell you this: Cleveland, who was supposed to be so good, I mean, losing Garland for for a couple of weeks that hurts them because yeah. I know they think that um, adding um, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell yeah. he could play the point guard position. Garland's the point guard. Mitchell was supposed to be the two. Right. That was the design. They wanted to not have the same usage rate on him as they did with Utah. And 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 I, it's killing me right now in my fantasy. It's killing me. Don't worry. At least you got Bonchero to save you. No <laughs> oh, God, please. <laughs> You're a rookie number one pick. Yeah, but I I still can't win because my team, being that it's starting, I start off with like like nobody playing the first game, the first day of the week, and then I just it, it takes for a while for me to catch up. And then I have to play catch-up all the way through the week. Chances of me winning are slim. You know, it just sucks, man. Here's an interesting question since I, just, since I mentioned Ben Simmons before. What is the worst contract in New York? Ben Simmons, Kenny Galladay, or Josh Donaldson? <laughs> ben Simmons. I think it's Galladay, personally. <laughs> He's just been completely useless. At least Ben Simmons has some level of skills when he is on the court. Kenny Galladay, I don't know what he is at this point. He's a slow, fragile Pot hands. I just want to see my team. I want to see my team at full strength kick the crap out of one of these teams. I want Garland to be back. I want Paul to play, and I have my two best point guards because that's what I made the moves for. I, I wanted my team to be small and dangerous with the 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 point guard play that I have. And I haven't had I haven't been at full strength, you know, since last week. I since game one. My point guy got hurt in the first quarter of game one. He's had a laceration. He's been out ever since. Oh, boy. I mean, uh, how how, how am I supposed to win? I know you had Kawhi Leonard. Has he played yet? Kawhi played tonight. Okay. Um, They said he was close to coming back. I didn't know if he was actually. He's not playing the back-to-backs. No, I know Which hurts me. Which which really, really hurts me. I didn't know that. For a guy with the load management things of the past, I I guess you shouldn't be surprised at. That really hurts me. All right. Looks like Ovi has arrived. I'm looking at it. Hold on. Uh. Kawhi Leonard is still playing right now. I don't know what he has right now. All right. Uh, yeah, Clippers and Thunder. Uh, Kawhi. 12 yeah. points. Okay. Yep. Yeah, 12 right. points. All right. Um, we're, not going to, we're not going to a break. We're going to bring him in. Uh, we are now talking to former Ravens, Falcons, and all-pro fullback, Ovi Mahali. What's up? What's up, Ovi? Ah. Uh, not much, guys. Thanks for being patient. Oh, stop. Uh, I, I, I'm a little tired. I, I had a long day today, and I have to go to the damn Islander game tomorrow and deal All with right. the crazy nut job people over there, the Islander Ranger game. But we're happy to have you on. 
Um, first of all, how are you and your family doing with the uh, whole pandemic? Uh, we survived. I was the reckless one. I uh, went to Vegas and for a conference. For a, uh, I work in medical sales and for a medical conference uh, about wound care. And, yeah, we had a little bit of fun afterwards mm-hmm. uh, after the conference. Went out a couple times. And what happens in Vegas did not stay in Vegas. Oh, I'm sure. back one time. <laughs> And uh, wife wasn't too happy about that. So like, kids quarantined me, threw me like some crackers and locked the door. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so luckily uh, uh, it wasn't too, too bad. The pandemic, I mean, the, uh, what you call it? The, whatever, the, the, yeah. the shot was out. And uh, so my dad's a doctor, so I didn't have a choice to take it or not. So I, I got it both and I was, I was good. And then I got it again, but I didn't know I even got it. The second time I got it, it was just a cough. I thought I was just coughing a lot. And I ended up having COVID, and I got thrown back in the room with crackers <laughs> and door locked. And two times COVID, I'm still here. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm blessed. So. Oh, you are. And, yeah. and by the way, we're very happy that you're okay. Happy you are on with us. Uh, but before we get into a little bit of your career, what is it like going in from being a, a, a good football player, an all-pro fullback in the NFL to medical sales? What is, what is the difference of being a basher? And now into a seller. Well, it's uh, th- there's some similarities. Uh, it-, it is a-, a crazy jungle trying to deal with egos and teammates, and you know uh, the corporate structure. Just like there's a structure in football, the OC, the head coach, your position coach. But uh, I-, I think uh, the difference now is that I can't hit anybody. <laughs> like if I don't like you, I want to just like maul your face. I, I can't do that. I-, I can't. You know, chop people in the neck or run through their chest. <laughs> I want to do it with some of my doctors, you know, and my dad's a doctor, sister's a doctor. And so I say this lightly doctors have egos. Mm. And they swear, like, they can't do wrong. And they sometimes look down at you, like, you know, I'm a doctor, <laughs> you know, what are you bring to the table? I'm like, well, I can, you know, double your revenue and help your patients not die. So kind of, <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it's, it's been fun, it's been interesting, but at the end of the day, it's become my new passion project because I have the ability to literally change how medicine is done and give patients uh, across the country, uh, uh, you know, easier ways to manage their health and hopefully save a couple of lives. So it's, it's been really rewarding. We are talking to former Ravens, Falcons, all pro fullback Ovi Mohaley. So I, last time we had you on the show, you were talking about your foundation and the growth of that. So what has gone on for that over the last year and what uh, some of the things you have done with that? Well, uh, pandemic uh, shut everything down, killed some of our biggest uh, funders. We had a second comic book that was ready to come out in uh, uh, 2020, and we had to put that on the shelf because some of our biggest uh, sponsors pulled out. But we, uh, we're we still trucking along. We've had to go down to one major program, which is our sustainability STEM program. We talk about the science, technology, engineering, uh, arts of this uh, environmental field or sustainability space. We work with a great company called EverFi. And so we have that going on in four schools right now, just a way to teach kids about how to make green by going green. But we're still very excited about the second comic book, Gridiron Green, excited about, you know, uh, the the new message about recycling, something that's very simple, very easy, a chance for everyone to make a difference. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I've, I've had to kind of just use me as uh, uh, a mouthpiece for what we're doing with the environment and why it's important that, even though this is something that we feel like is happening far, far away, you know, only polar bears and ice caps and doesn't affect me. 
it does. And mm. it affects, unfortunately, the, the least of us. And so it's something that I want to find ways to encourage next generation to take seriously and be part of the solution. So good for you, man. Uh, that's a great, it's a great thing. And, and helping our communities and, and helping our government is something that we should be doing, not fighting over politics and who's liberal and who's democratic and who's this and who's that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, we should be trying to help out what's going on in the world and, and what we can do to fix it. Absolutely. And it's crazy. I got Republicans and Democrats in my family slash extended family. And it's 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 just it's just insane because if everyone treated mm-hmm. people like they want to be treated, problem solved. I, I agree That's with you. it. Yeah. If you just treat people like you want to be treated, mm-hmm. left or right, you'd be fine. And and unfortunately that is a, a difficult concept. You gotta stay positive and and just, you know, believe, pray that we'll find some solutions that just give us better quality of lives, you know, give us better value. Just, you know, take care of uh, the basics, you know, just, 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 just the basics. Not ask for, for too much. Now you were a fullback a running back and, and, and it, the game is completely different. And with the way turf and grass is uh, the NFL is changing practically every stadium to now turf. It's affected people with hamstring problems, groin problems, knee problems, ACL tears, Achilles tears, all that other stuff. Uh, Odell Beckham spoke out this this year saying what he felt about it uh, and how it's ruining people and ruining young players' careers and it's really setting players back. What are your thoughts? I mean, you played on both turf and grass. What is the difference as a runner on both both sides of the field? I personally, I like turf. But, again, I'm not going – like these cheetahs, like these Tyreek Hills and Odell Beckham's going, you know, running these four three, four four, four two forties. Okay. I'm over at like, you know, four four seven, respectable four seven. Yeah. You know, at, at two fifty, two fifty five. And I hated the ground just, you know, escaping underneath me and mushy uh Pittsburgh Steelers, uh real grass. I, I like real grass when it's kept up, but excuse me, most of the time, you know, after the third and fourth corner when everyone's just chopped yeah. into it, yeah. can't get a good footing. So when I hit somebody, I'm grinding through it. I I, I can't get my feet stable. Mm. And so I love turf for that because I always felt like I had a solid foundation to just plant and then jack somebody up. Uh, I, 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 I'm i a turf guy. And right. so I, I realized that the majority of people, uh, especially the fast guys, the, the specialists are not turf guys, but Good turf, uh, turf that, you know, expensive, put down the right way. I feel like for the run game, it, it, it helped us. So uh, you, you played with a lot of good running backs. We went over that kind of thing last time. But uh, you also played with uh, a couple quarterbacks with the, with the Ravens and with the Falcons, one of which recently just got benched in Matt Ryan and uh, now sitting on the bench the rest of the year for the Colts. What was he like in your time in Atlanta? And uh, are you surprised that it kind of fell to this point for him? I'm extremely surprised, and I, I I feel bad for him because a lot of Falcons fans. I was at the barbershop trying to haircut today, <laughs> like bouncing off it. Uh, and and Looks we're doing good. barbershop Looks talk. Good. Yeah, thank you. And, and people are like, oh man, your boy Ovi. What happened to your boy Matt Ryan? I'm like, man, he's good. Like, I, well, I looked into this a little more, did a little, you know, reading. He's got an injury. It's not like you know they're they're benching him because, well, he has been really really bad. But the injury is like, all right, you know what? This uh, this is probably not going to work out for us. Plus, we want to go into tank mode so we can get a, a draft pick. 
But but Matt is not a bad quarterback. That needs to be said. People need to understand that. It's fun and easy to pile on my, my dog Matt Ryan, but he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Mm. He's had a, he's had a, a you know a rough end to the season, but his numbers. He's got Hall of Fame numbers. He's, he's broken so many records, and being with him in Atlanta from the time he was a, a, a baby, a, a newborn Boston College kid coming to the NFL and you know running like a baby giraffe when he tried to scramble, <laughs> he, he's grown so much, and he's been able to, I think, lead teams to impressive comeback wins, and his leadership is there. I just hate that after I left at, uh, 2012 and, and, you know, even at the Colts, he's never, never had a solid offensive line or a solid defense to, to help him out or even a solid running game. And they, they, you know, Frank Reich even said it, like we promised Matt a run game. We promised him an offensive line. We didn't deliver, you know, we, we failed him. And I'm glad he was honest about that because Matt has uh, uh, made some mistakes, but it's hard to throw accurately when you're running for your life and the hits he's taken, they add up. They absolutely add up. I, I played 10 years, and, and I delivered some hits. I took some hits. But as a quarterback where you can't protect yourself, he's one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the league the last three, four, five years. Like, mm-hmm. either the most or, like, the top two or three. And after a while, you, you just get a little shake. It's, it's just human nature. So uh, I'm not putting too much of it on him. I know he's had a, a great career. If he decides to, to hang it up, you know, he he's – one uh, of the best to play the game. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of people don't think that. They, they, they think that Matt Ryan is proving, you know, why <laughs> Falcons should got rid of him a long time ago. And I, I don't think it was a good fit for the Falcons the last couple of years because of what I said. he He's too expensive, too talented to have no offensive line and to have no help on defense. Just my I, thoughts. I agree with you. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Ravens, Falcons, and all-pro fullback Ovi Muhali. Uh, he, he's been on our show before. Happy to have him on again. Uh, he's been a very busy man as he's in medical sales. His family is in the medical world, as he, as he said. Uh, his sister and father are doctors. It's crazy. What is it like? Um, obviously, you're retired, and people come up to you all the time, and they're like, oh, Ovi, you were a f- you were one of the top fullbacks in the league, and now there's there's no fullbacks in the NFL anymore. There's like there's like three or four fullbacks. The fullback position supreme. is completely gone. So what what is it like knowing that your position has completely disappeared in the NFL? It's crazy, dude. It, it makes no sense. It it, it kind of irritates me because these coaches try to outthink themselves and be all uh, super fancy when. What works sometimes, the easy answer is the right answer. And when you just get, uh, you know, a solid fullback that can move men and, and run through people, and doesn't matter if that office lineman misses the block, that office lineman's block is shaky. As long as the point of attack, you have a, a beast, an animal, somebody's going to go out there and just handle business, you can get three yards, four yards, three yards, five yards, big run, you know, 15, big run, 20 yards. It just gives you insurance that the run game is going to be solid and effective if you have a great fullback. And Yushek, he's 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 one of the best. Like it, it is. Uh, someone brought this up to me, uh, DM me, and said, "Hey man, uh, you really set the market for fullbacks back in 2007." Where I was uh, extremely blessed and signed an 18 million dollar deal, uh, highest paid fullback in NFL history at the time, and making three million dollars a year. Uh, I was I was super excited. I think Lorenzo Neal even texted me. Uh, he because um, uh, Michael Turner 
Uh, he used to be obviously with the Chargers and Lorenzo, his fullback. So he gave me his, his information, and he said something about um, something about uh, the contract I had. Like you know, congrats, whatever, because he was making like one point five a year, and he was the highest paid fullback at the time. And I, I, I doubled that at three, which is crazy because in 2022, and look it up because I don't know if the number she told me was right. Uh, that's my told me that, that the second highest paid fullback is making like three million dollars a year, like like three point mm-hmm. one, and like Ushek is like he's making five, and he, it's great a year. But they have not gone up with fullbacks so either. Um, I don't know what happened. They they just don't value us. They don't they don't appreciate us. They don't treat us with the the respect that I think fullbacks should be treated with. And they think that you just throw anybody out there when uh, a good fullback who can run, who can block, who can catch, they're hard to find, but they're out there. But uh, the, the, the market hasn't been treating them well. Yeah, the, the next highest paid in terms of average annual value is the Ravens' Patrick Ricard, $3.75 million per year. Okay, good. And then uh, the next highest overall, he's making about $3 million per year after you yeah. shook is C.J. Ham on Minnesota. Yeah, so like the, thir- the third best fullback is making what I made you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> or more than that it's 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 insane and while all the while i mean the fullback is the least paid position in football and i feel like we're if we're out there beating these the these top paid linebackers top paid defensive ends you know you, you should pay us but that probably will never happen again unless the cyclical cyclical thing comes around and People actually realize that having good fullbacks help you win games. Yeah, that actually was my next question. Because linebackers and safeties have kind of gotten maybe smaller for the position as a whole because they're prioritizing speed more, can you see yeah. that kind of thing transitioning, whether it's the raw fullback position or some of the concepts? Uh, I can see it. And I mean, if, if these OCs stop trying to outthink themselves and just take the easy answer, you're absolutely right. They have gotten smaller because quarterbacks and OCs are going five wides and they're trying to uh, – you know, spread it out. So they want athletic uh, linebackers, athletic safeties. And that means that the 250-pound, uh, you know, Keo Spikes of the world, Kendrick mm. Bell's of the world, Jeremiah Trotter's of the world, even Ray Lewis got up to like 245, and he was a pretty big dude, slipped down, you know, near the end of his career. But those big old linebackers, it, it's a thing of the past. And uh, frankly, I like it. I like it when they're small and they try to be all nifty and shifty and get around because I just, just hit them in the mouth and they fall over. Those other big guys, man, it was, man, I, I, got, I got headaches uh, uh, going against the Kia. Like third, fourth quarter, I'm like, you good? You're like, yeah, you good? I'm, like, yeah, I'm good. Are you good? We, we both are not good. Both got like five concussions just from hitting each other. Oh, man. And we can't go to the side because it's, you know, the 2007s, 8s, 9s, 10s, and no one's – letting you say timeout, I think my head hurts. I have a concussion. That wasn't even something a fullback or a linebacker could even say. Like right. you'd be blackballed if, if you were show that you were soft by admitting that you had a concussion and couldn't see straight. Uh but but no I'm I'm hoping that uh, it comes around and, and coaches realize or the league realizes that getting a, a decent fullback, not getting a great fullback and running against these small guys gives you the advantage. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Ravens, Falcons, on all-pro fullback Ovi Mohali. Ovi, you look at the CTE situation with the NFL, and it's, it's crazy. We've talked to a lot of NFL players, a lot of ex-NFL players, and they've all told us that the NFL did this all wrong. They, they didn't look out for the players, uh, these former players that have helped build the game for what it is today, 
and, and where it where it's really gone when it comes to contracts, uh, new CBA, you know, contracts that they got, new TV deals. Everything happened because of you guys, the the older players. And then with the CTA came out, they tried to ruin this doctor that was trying to help you players. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, when when it, when push came to shove. And they were trying to make excuses and throwing everything under the rug. Then the players tried to sue the league. They they winded up giving the players a hundred million dollars, which was not enough. They still mm-hmm. don't want to give players, um, you know, um, what is it, um, guaranteed, insurance, right, yeah. guaranteed insurance for the rest of their lives. Meanwhile, you have Roger Goodell making, you know, him and his family have insurance for the rest of their lives. He's making forty five million dollars a year. He has his own jet for the rest of his life, even if he's not the commissioner of, of football. Is what are your thoughts to the way the NFL has treated these former players that deserve a lot better from what they have gotten? I mean, it's 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 a shame. It's unfortunate. Uh, baseball players, you know, got guaranteed contracts, and basketball players guaranteed contracts, and you know, uh, insurance for for the lifetime. Football players, after five years of retiring, it's it's done. It's cut off. Like you're you're on your own. And uh, it was uh, a little bit scary, you know. Uh, luckily, and the older players have it really bad. Like we have a, a health reimbursement account, a health savings account, where they put some money in there. Mm. But all right, after five years, I'm using my HRA account, and I'm watching it go down, go down, go down. And I'm, uh, gosh, I've been using it for uh, about six, seven years, and I'm done. Mm. I'm out. Like I, I got no more money in that thing, so I gotta. Luckily, I, one of the companies I work with, they have health insurance, but a lot of guys don't have large companies they work with that fully cover their health insurance, and so they're just paying out of pocket. So it, it's it's insane that with all the money the NFL makes, they can't find a way to take care of the people who built this multi-billion-dollar business for them. If the NFL doesn't want to do it, the owners can do it for each individual team if they wanted to, and it's not going to change their lifestyle at all. So I, I, I just don't understand why they say they love the players. They say it's a you know player-driven league, but they don't do what's best for players. They say player safety is the biggest thing for them. They're adding extra games, and we're telling them that this is going to add more injuries, it's going to add more concussions, this is going to you know affect these players in a negative way when they retire and they're playing 17 games a season versus 16. And they're like, yeah, 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 but uh, we took away a preseason game. So we're even, right? No, we're not even. That's that's not how this works. So it's um, it, it's sad. It's unfortunate. I, I hope that maybe a light bulb goes off and, and one of these owners decides that they're going to set a precedent and say, if you come to you know the Raiders or you come to uh, the Chiefs or whoever, we're giving you lifetime health, health insurance. You know, we don't have to, and if I'm not doing it, but we're doing that. That will change a lot when it comes to free agency and places people want to go work for. So we've seen the most extreme case of that this year with the Dolphins, the way they've handled Tua Tagovailoa oh, so far this year. Did. Disgusting. And, uh, Tua came out last week and said that he was practically unconscious when he got uh, when he got knocked out in that game, and he doesn't even remember getting knocked out. So, do you think wh- how hard do you think the NFL should punish the Dolphins organization for this kind of thing? That's just an example because. Teams will keep on doing this as long as you allow them to do this because they're like, oh, we're we're doing so well. Like, you know, we're, we're on a run. Like, we don't want to take Tua out and all these rules and had all this, you know, kumbaya and song and dance about how, you know, we're going to take care of the players and the concussions is something that, you know, we should uh, report. And, you know, we're going to police uh, these teams by having an uh, independent third-party NFL person or doctor 
uh, you know, make sure the players are good to go. None of that actually worked. If the team wants the player to play, they will jimmy rig whatever they have to do to get the player to play. And it's going to keep on happening if they see that they get a slap on the wrist. Because if it means winning a playoff game or, you know, a pivotal matchup, they're like, yeah, we'll take the fine. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. So I hope they do something that's that's extreme. So the Dolphins, more importantly, the rest of the NFL is like, Ugh, if a guy has a concussion and can potentially, you know, hurt himself badly, you know, or die by getting a second one back to back, we're going to keep him out. Not just because we don't want players to die, but we're also going to get severely fined and severely punished, and it's going to hurt our team in the long run. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Ravens, Falcons, all-pro fullback Ovi Muhali. You know, Ovi, when when we look at the game as a whole and, and, and the transition, and everybody talks about how the game has changed, it, it's become a quarterback game. Everybody said, you know, when, when – you know, in the 90s, it was a defensive game and a running back game. Then it transitioned into the wide receivers and quarterbacks. And the prima donnas now, uh, you have these wide receivers. They want more money. Look at the offseason that we've seen. Uh, these wide receivers, the money they got. There's also yeah. Tyreek Hill gets traded. He makes money. Uh, all these different guys that are making money. Uh, obviously, uh, Adams goes over there to uh, the of Las Vegas Raiders. And he's making the biggest contract in in, in Wide receiving history, uh, the crazy amount of money that he's getting. So you look at the league and you look at the game, and now these quarterbacks, if you put a finger on these guys, you could be suspended. Um, you can you could get fined. A 15-yard penalty could cost your team a game just by hitting the quarterback. And now they're saying if you lean on them or you lay on top of them when you hit them, that's a penalty. What, what the heck is this game? You might as well make the game flag football. It's a baby I'm, game now. Dude, I'm just glad I don't play defense. Like, I am so happy I don't play defense. Even when I was playing ball, I felt bad for the defenders. I would tell my guys, uh, uh, Sean Witherspoon, my homie, we still hang out, uh, and uh, a couple other, the uh, Thomas Deku, a couple other defensive guys, even John Abraham, I'd tell them, like, man, y'all can't do nothing. Like, nothing. Like, how in, in the hell do you sack a quarterback and you hit them and all of a sudden, you don't lay your body weight on them. How do you matrix yourself to to not fall on top of them if you hit them dead on? Hmm. Like what what what? It, it, it's it's insane. It's not even doable. Some of the rules that they have, like I, you know, everyone saw Grady Jarrett sling Tom Brady down, and we were having a big comeback versus uh, um, the darn Bucks, and that stopped our momentum because they're protecting Tom Brady, and we've seen that. Tackle happened on several quarterbacks. Grady did it like the next game, sacked somebody, rolled him up, and threw him to the ground because you can't let these quarterbacks go. Even some of the old ones, they'll put a hand down and, and keep on running. And then what? Then you gonna you gonna blow the whistle, calm down. So it, it's it's an offensive league. It's a quarterback driven league, and they're protecting the quarterbacks. I get that to an extent, but it is so overboard now that it's difficult to play the game, especially if you're on the defensive side. It's difficult to actually be aggressive because just, just watch. Like, everyone's afraid now. You watch these defenders, and they are giving these <laughs> quarterbacks love taps. Like, usually, oh, my gosh, back in the day, oh, you would make sure that quarterback felt that hit. And if he threw the ball, you would just deck him, knock him out. Now they're stopping so early. And I get it because they don't want to be the reason – 
that the ball comes back. You get an interception or you, you know, you stop him on downs and all of a sudden the play is extended, the drive's extended because you tap the quarterback, you touch the quarterback. So I, I don't think it's good for the game. Uh, I, I know what they're trying to do, but I, I think it's going to hurt the game long term if they keep on going in this direction. I couldn't believe it when I saw that Grady Jarrett one. He yeah. was literally trying to roll over to get away from him, and yeah. it just happened to what, and, and no body weight. He, he threw him down, got yeah. up, you know, straddled him, kept on, ran away. They called a foul or called they had <laughs> threw a flag on that. <laughs> I was furious. The game Slim. is just, the game has become like a pee wee football game. That's what it's become. And I don't care what – I know Tom Brady complains. I feel bad for Tom Brady. You know, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but this is a guy that decided to come back from retirement. He's playing yeah. for a crappy team. He, he, his, him and his wife are getting a divorce now, all because he decided to go back and play the game because he loves the you game so much. better win the Super Bowl. If you're going to get a divorce for coming back to play football, you better win the damn Super Bowl. I, that's what I, I said. they got to trade him to the 49ers. They might not even make yeah. the playoffs. <laughs> They'll trade him to the 49ers. They'll so win over there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're losing to darn uh, the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. And you should be winning the Super Bowl. You know, I, I didn't lead yourself for this. So, lose to the darn Panthers. Oh, it, it's it's hard. Jay Walker. <laughs> I feel bad for him because uh, a guy that should have just retired. He had his, one of his best seasons last year, yeah. uh, and and you thought he was going to ride off to the sunset. He just got a $350 million contract. He's the highest-paid analyst in sports history. I mean, why would you go back and play football? You had everything. You had your wife. You had this big contract. You have all your businesses. You're making millions and millions of dollars. Why the hell would you go back? Because he loved the game so much, and he loved his players, and then – He's losing, and he's is he's getting a divorce. He's, yeah. I just feel bad for the guy. I really do. I and he looks just not healthy. You know, when you watch him he on looks, the field, he looks unwell. Yeah, like, he looks unwell, and and you know, we, none of us know what's going on with him. But it looks like again, not not going to speculate, but it looks mm. like something's going on. Yeah, like, even if it's a small, he's just not eating well, mm. and his TB twelve is is going to the extreme, but. It, it his face looks sunken, his eyes look sunken, yeah. his skin looks different. He doesn't look well, so I'm not surprised that he's not playing at his best because you, you got to have muscles to, to play the game, and his seem to be like you know eroding away. I think so too. I I don't think he looks well. I've said that's to to Speedy over here. I say it on the show all the time. There's something up, and and yeah. even when he did his press conference when he came back. Uh, he was in in that sweatshirt. He just didn't look like Tom Brady. I, yeah, he, not he, at all. Not even a confidence level on the field. He's yelling more than we've ever seen him do it. Uh, he just – he's not the same quarterback. And I, He's I, 45, yeah. by the way. Yeah. He's 40 freaking five. Like, what, what are you doing yeah. playing football at 45? It's not the money. Age. It's not the money. You don't need it. I mean, seriously. He's, try, he's trying to make the rules look bad of, of how Fox, to take down a quarterback. Fox just gave him almost a half a million dollars. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I have a half a billion dollars to be an analyst, and he's never done it before. He's never even tried to do it before. You see all these contracts that these guys are getting. Buck and, and Aikman, uh, they get something from Amazon now and ESPN. They're, like, splitting splitting doses over there. I think that I think Aikman's making, like, I think thirty-five million a year as an analyst, or something, yeah, something like that. Stupid. And yeah. and, and, and Buck is Kirk Herb Street too over yeah, there. Herb Street too yeah. is making a lot of money. I mean, these guys are making ridiculous money talking sports. Gig. I mean, it's a yeah. great deal. It's a good, and, and it's all because of Tony Romo. Tony yeah. Romo become a superstar analyst, and now everybody wants Tony Romo money. 
It's mm-hmm. unbelievable, man. It really yeah, is. Tony, yeah, Tony Romo came up from went from Tony Ono to, <laughs> to big money. I never, I never yeah. heard Tony took a dig at it himself. Tony the first game oh he broadcast. No. <laughs> he said, "I wish I could have been there." <laughs> I always yeah. heard, I always heard uh, Tony Homo, not Omo. That's what <laughs> I heard. Oh no. uh-huh. But I never. Oh no, that's pretty good. Oh, I like yeah. that. Tony I, Ono. I, I, Tony. Tony Ono. Tony Ono. Tony Ono. It's the reaction to when he botched a snap in the playoffs. Ah yeah. uh, man. We and since then they haven't had the quarterbacks hold. Now, now the punters get to hold because of that because nobody trusts him because of Tony Romo. Exactly. <laughs> last, last question for me, and uh, I know you're busy, and I knew you had a long day. Uh, and I know you want to go home, or you are home. You want to go to sleep and just relax and get ready for work tomorrow. As you're, yeah, we got to catch Game of Thrones. We didn't watch it on Sunday. Uh, I watched it. it. I watched it. Gotta, don't say anything. I'm not so saying we, anything. We have it on DVR. I'm not saying anything. Uh, it, yeah. Crazy ending. I, and I, I can't wait until season two. I can't wait because yeah. it, it's crazy. But anyways, you, you, we'll talk about it off air. I'll tell you what. We'll talk about it. It's crazy. I, I love game. You know what's so funny? Before we, before I ask you the last question, I didn't watch all the Game of Thrones series until like four or five years later when it was done. Yeah, same I, here. I, same here. I, best, I, best thing ever. Yes, because I don't want to wait. I hate waiting. You know what I mean? And now, now because I'm, I'm so addicted to it, now that this started, I'm watching every single week, and I'm like, what's going to happen? I got to wait until this week because I got so addicted to it. it it's, yeah. And, and, and this season, it, it, it's – I think it's just much. It's it's a much better story. I think, and I think it's gonna. I think it's going to get better in the second season. I really do. Yeah. But I just uh, hope they don't do like three or four. I want like six, seven, eight, nine. Like, like immerse me in the story. Like like the first Game of Thrones, House of Dragons. I hope they have like seven, eight, nine. I, I want to get all the way in. Well, they what they're going to do is they're the um, John. Um, What's his name again? Snow. It's John Snow. They're making a, a show, uh, a series for John Snow after Good. Game of Thrones. So they're Good. they're doing this, and then they're making something with John Snow after uh, the uh, the Game of Thrones. So Perfect. so that they're they're going to make this you know a franchise, and it's going to be fun to watch. And I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I really am. But my last question to you is: If there is a piece of the game that you can change right now. If you were running the NFL right now, you were the commissioner of the NFL right now. And by the way, we are talking to uh, ex-NFL player, Ravens, Falcons, all-pro fullback, Ovi Mohali. If you can change the game in any kind of way, what would you do? It's a great freaking question, man. I want to selfishly, you know, just say pay the fullback. That's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I could uh, change the game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Wow. I would um ooh, threw you so curveball. You know, all right, well well the, the 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 not so easy thing, but what I would love to see is um just more African American coaches. I I feel like there are so many African American players that uh play the game, play it well, have the mind to coach, wanna coach, and this darn Rooney rule's not working, and there are more qualified guys than what we see, but you know, it, it's just the good old boys club. Like there are so many crappy coaches that you'll see whenever there's a, a opening, Oh, let's throw that coach in. Let's throw mm-hmm. that coach. In. He's had four chances and he's messed it up every single time. <laughs> Give one of these coordinators or these, you know, position coaches a chance to be an OC or be a head coach. So I would just love, you know, like we have like what, two, three, four, like, 
just give us uh, 25 percent. Just, mm. just just give black coaches a chance because and I said it because one of my favorite coaches, Coach Jim Caldwell, mm-hmm. um, he got read out of Detroit when he was doing well. Yep. And his replacement did worse than him, and mm-hmm. everyone kept on giving him chances, giving him chances, and. Again, Jim Caldwell coached me in uh, Wake Forest University, which is doing amazing, by the way. Yes, Top ten, go yeah. deeps, uh, handling business. Almost took Clemson <laughs> out in double overtime. Oh, I, mean, I was so mad at that. I wanted them to come win on. so badly. Yeah, so Jim Caldwell is my guy. That's my dude. I, I've seen him, uh, you know, when he was an uh, NFL coach, and I've seen him afterwards, and I always say, you should be coaching right now. You're better than uh, a dozen of these coaches coaching right now. And because – some of the, the, you know, these owners are just like, let's just recycle who we have. Right. It's taken away from the league. I think it's taken away from the game and, and it's uh, doing a disservice to the fans. Look what Miami did. Best coach, coach. Look what What's Miami that? did. Look what they did. Yeah. Yeah, horrible. absolutely. So horrible what they did. I, 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 I'd love to see more uh, coaches of color. Good question. Good, yeah. good, good answer. Uh, my last question is uh, about the, your other quarterback that you played with in Baltimore, uh, Steve <coughs> McNair. Very sad what mm-hmm. happened to him. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, do you have a good Steve McNair story? I have the best Steve McNair story, nice. at least at least for me, man. And, and ah, gosh, um, I remember like it, it was such a, a solid hug. It's, it, it was so it, it means so much more now, especially, but. We went back to Tennessee, uh, and they they had just said, Steve, you're too old. We don't want you. You're not good enough. I, I don't know what quarterback they chose instead of Steve. They carry Steve Collins at the time. To, yeah, there you go. So Steve ended up coming in 2006, uh, my last year with the Ravens. He came to Baltimore, and we were like, he's better than Kyle Bowler, and he was much better than Kyle Bowler. Uh Cowboy was terrible. <laughs> uh, but Steve McNair was a, a guy who was a veteran, was a leader, and brought all the things that Cowboy didn't bring to our offense, you know, like consistency and, you know, and accuracy. And he had that fire. And we, we, we trusted him. We believed in him. Uh, our game still was Jamal Lewis and myself. We were running the damn ball, doing our thing. But Jamal's hands weren't great. Mm-hmm. And I spent time on the jugs like a crazy person because it was my contract year. And I wanted to show them that I, I didn't just have good hands. I had great hands. I, I had the best hands of any fullback in the league. <laughs> and so I had this thing called perfect plays. In practice, I don't think I dropped maybe one ball in practice uh, or maybe two or three, but like all season. Like I was so just dialed in. So Steve's like, I see a fullback whenever the ball, whenever I'm scrambling. If it's you or Jamal, I'm throwing it to you. If I see you open, I'm going to throw it to you. And I'm going to keep on throwing it to you until you drop one. So I don't think I dropped one in the game. Uh, but anyways, we went to Tennessee, and we were down two or three touchdowns, and we were really upset because we wanted to win it for Steve. So Steve had a great speech. Ray Lewis you know, gave a great speech. We were all rah, rah, rah. And you're like, you know, let's go back and win this for Steve. Like, let, let's let him you know, get, get, get a W. Uh, at the place that didn't respect him and didn't, you know, show him love. So the third quarter, like one of the, uh, the first big drives, we're trying to come back. And it's like we're midfield, simple play. I'm running five yards and to the left for an out. And I guess Derek Mason's not open and Mark Clayton's not open. And he looks dead at me. And he ends up pointing me like where he wanted me to go. I, I, I stopped. I run five yards and out and I stopped. And he said, he, he ended up pointing to me. I was like, oh, Oh crap! He go he gonna throw the ball to me. So he, goes, <laughs> he throws it to me. It's just like five yards, and so I just turn, 
and uh, two linebackers try to get me. Like one knocks the other one off me. I break a tackle. I break one more tackle, and I'm just like running. I feel like my either my head's back or my eyes are closed. And I'm running. I see the end zone. I, I just ran like 35 yards and scored a touchdown, and it's my first touchdown ever. And so I have this like really lame like jumping like yeah, just pump in the air. But like Steve's running down uh, uh, to Timmy, and he grabs me. He's like. He, he, he such he's such a big man, yeah, bear hug. He's like, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, that's what the f I'm talking about. I say, I got you, Steve. We're gonna win this damn game. We're gonna win this damn game. And so the next thing happens, we just got on. Um, it was a little spark, and the defense got an interception. There's a turnover, and we ended up beating uh, the Titans. And we we wanted to lift Steve up, and we were in the locker room going crazy, going crazy. And Steve came to me, and um, you know, uh, he was like, hey, man. You started that off. You you started that, that that streak, man. I appreciate you. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, I appreciate you. And it was, man, it was. It, I feel kind of kind of even right now talking about it because he just was such a solid guy, such a great human being, and such a, an amazing soul, amazing spirit, and a gifted athlete. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that story because um, you know it was uh, something that that I, I always remember and. and I was able to give Steve something he really wanted. He said, you know, it didn't matter, you know, left or right, just want to win for the team. But he wanted to show them that they made, made a mistake. mistake. Yeah. And I'm a damn good quarterback. And and he is, and he was. And and uh, I love him for that. Oh, I oh. found I found the game. It was it was 2000, 2006, uh, November twelfth. I, I probably exaggerated. Well, I don't know, thirty six yard touchdown. It could have been like a, it was, a twenty it, yard. You, touchdown. It was labeled. This is according to Stat Muse as a thirty yard touchdown. Okay, and, there we go. Yeah, I was close. Thirty something. You guys were down twenty six to seven in that game. Wow. In there the second go. quarter, uh, your, your touchdown I, made it twenty six to fourteen, and then there was a spark yep. in the second half after that. Yep, there you go. There you go. Not the third quarter, second quarter. I was off a little bit, but, you know, you got to exaggerate still, for the movie. Still, it's back. still a great story. It really is. Yeah. Awesome. Ovi, you're awesome, man. And we'll, we'll get you on very, very soon. A lot quicker than we've had you, but fantastic stories. You're a fantastic person. Keep up the good work. Uh, say hello to the family. Stay, uh, stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Sounds good, man. Y'all be good. Thank you. As everybody knows, we were just talking to former Ravens, Falcons, and all-pro fullback Ovi Muhali. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Guy. Absolutely. Really is. Great stories. Um, and uh, thank God he, he squeaked right in after his uh, wonderful dinner with his wife. And, yep, and now I get to enjoy Game of Thrones. Yes! Game of Thrones! Woo! That's right. House of the Dragon, baby. That wasn't a dragon. I don't know what that was. <laughs> That was more like a dog. That was or like something. a dog, like dragon, like know, underworld beast. Yeah, yeah, maybe like a griffin or something. Like that. It was one of those. different, that's for sure. Yeah, so some some mythological creature. Yes, uh, that's what I am—a mythological creature. That's right. Anyways, uh, thank you to all the fans for listening to us tonight. Thank you for waiting for Ovi. Um, we will uh, exit Ovi right there. <laughs> he 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 shut off his there. He left his phone. He, that's crazy. He left his his camera on when <laughs> that's it. He shut off the lights. He's done. He's good. But uh, shout out to Ovi for joining us. We really appreciate him um, as always. Uh, thank you to the fans, like I said, and everybody that tunes in and listens to us and gives us the opportunity uh, to entertain you throughout the week. Uh, we will not have a show tomorrow because, ladies and gentlemen, I will be at the Islanders and Ranger games, which the Islanders, I mean, the Rangers are tied 2-2 two to two with Colorado. Uh, two minutes left of the overtime. 
Uh, this is probably, unless the Rangers score here, they're going to a shootout. So we'll see what happens. Rangers will get a power play at some point, though, a delayed penalty. Now they're going out. Oh, no. And at 29, so they got, like, I guess it's five on three overtime. Or no, four on three for the, the uh, yeah, four on three overtime. This will be fun. Anyways, uh, we'll be back on Thursday, 9 p.m. Stay tuned. Good night. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.